This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, Anna and I went storm chasing over the weekend. You know the storm chasers who go down into the into the eye of a hurricane or they chase a tornado around the Midwest and they well we we inadvertently went storm chasing we ended up in Southern California over the weekend and we're flying back out of San Diego yesterday in fact we uh, we maneuvered our flight by checking the uh, National Weather Service and you know Hurricane Hillary and all that sandbags people in San Diego they shut down the beaches they shut down the public parks they braced for this hurricane and you may have seen images on social media i don't know if we can trust them these days those video fakes are getting pretty good pictures people are getting good with the photoshop yeah rank and file person getting pretty good with the photoshop uh but uh, my big takeaway in uh in being down in san diego yesterday was how soft the southern californians are Man, are they soft. They were in galoshes. They were in raincoats and rain jackets. They closed down. A lot of businesses didn't even open for what amounted to, like, you know, a Sunday in November in the state of Oregon. Like, uh, there was a couple from Seattle, and uh, there was us, and we were kind of looking at each other as everybody was running around in a light drizzle, freaking out. About the hurricane. Like, you know, this wasn't like the high desert. This wasn't like, you know, this is just San Diego got a little rain. I get it, man. People freaking out. People gone soft. Flooding. Torrential winds. Southwest Airlines canceled a lot of their flights out of San Diego's airport preventatively. Like, they just basically said, we're not going to deal with this. We had a nightmare the last time a storm came along. And so Southwest Airlines um, shut down and started canceling flights like crazy, which, of course, alarmed me a little bit because I thought, oh, gosh, we were on an Alaska flight. I thought, oh, gosh, you know, here we go. I'm going to get stuck in San Diego. I'm going to have to be scrambling back on Monday, trying to get ready for the radio show, trying to get back in time. And uh, Alaska Airlines, to their credit, they uh, all the flights left as scheduled and, you know, and there was no problems and... I talked to several people who had been on uh, had been booked on Southwest flights who made other arrangements on other airlines, and they were just lamenting the fact that uh, Southwest basically just said we're not going to participate uh, out of San Diego on on Sunday. But uh, I digress. I'm basically here today to tell you if you're listening to this show and you are uh, listening to it from outside of Southern California, I'm I'm basically telling you today how how tough you are. You don't get enough credit, especially people of the Pacific Northwest who don't pick up umbrellas almost ever. I got to tell you, the umbrellas were out. It was lightly raining. And it was like, is it even raining? 
And I was like, barely. And, you know, people were freaking out and saying, oh, this, this is just too much. We haven't seen in the Pacific Northwest when we get a light dusting of snow. I, I'll admit, like, when we get a light dusting of snow, the schools, they shut down, the bus routes stop, everybody halts to a stop and pauses and says, we just can't do it. Take turns telling each other how awful the weather is, how bad the ice is. We uh, run out to Costco into the grocery store and we clean out all of the toilet paper and, uh, and whatever else we can get our hands on. I just saw all the runs in Southern California and uh, I blame the media a little bit. I do think that especially television news plays to the weather a little too much. We do it here, Snowmageddon in the wintertime. They do it in Southern California and they did it with a hurricane. Uh, we got a great show for you today. We uh, have a couple of uh, awesome guests. Uh, Jordan Acker is a lawyer. He's also a regent at the University of Michigan. He is the regent who has become the voice of reason when it comes to college athletics. He tweeted in the wake of the Big Ten Conference, uh, adding Washington and Oregon, tweeted all about uh, his feelings about how it's all about the money, it's a money grab, it's essentially not in the best interest of the air quotes here, student-athletes that are caught in the uh, middle of this money storm, so to speak, and uh, Jordan Acker's spitting a lot of truth on social media and other places. He uh, He's a guest I've wanted to get on the show since the second I saw his tweets, and so over the weekend uh, we came to uh, an agreement that this was a good time for him to get on to the show, and so he will be joining us at 4 o'clock to talk about the, the, uh, the decision and what is happening in major college athletics as it pertains to the loss of tradition, the loss of rivalries, the realignment of conferences that make no sense uh, adding members from California and other places and what it really means. What is the big picture? We'll talk to one of the regents at the University of Michigan who's been uh, directly involved in this stuff and sees it for what it is. Jordan Acker, 4 o'clock, be here for it. John Wilner will be with us in the 5 o'clock hour, the happy hour. He will be with us to talk about Jennifer Cohen, the Washington Athletic Director, who today was introduced as the new Athletic Director at USC. Jen Cohen has been on the show multitude of times. I would say she's a friend of this show because uh, whenever there's something big going on, she has come on to talk about it. I think she's smart. I think she's humble. She's not perfect. Like, you know, she, she hired Jimmy Lake. She promoted Jimmy Lake when Chris Peterson left, although it was Peterson's recommendation. What are you going to do if you're the AD in that case? Um, she hired Mike Hopkins, the men's basketball coach. He's been a big disappointment and probably uh, has maybe one more season left before Washington has to decide what to do with the men's basketball program. Um, so she's not perfect, but what AD really is. But what I do think she is for USC is a great hire. She's a normal person grounded she's humble she's smart she's uh somebody who unifies uh the people around her and gets them all pointed in the same direction she did that at washington she'll do it at usc it is a very un-usc hire by their standards and i and look and i was kind of counting on usc to do what they've done for most of the last 15 years usc uh you know hires pat hayden as the athletic director then follows that with lynn swan back-to-back bad decisions kind of helped everybody else in in the Pac-12 conference and certainly in the western part of the United States because you know they just kind of tripped all over themselves so to speak and so in the end I'm kind of left looking at this hire and I'm going this is not the kind of hire that is going to help the rest of the conference this is a this is the kind of hire that that elevates USC on the national scale 
and puts Jen Cohen in the driver's seat with driving one of the biggest and most iconic sports brands in college athletics. This is not Mike Bowen, who's a little bit of a folksy blowhard. You know, he's the guy that they ran off uh, after it turned out that he was, uh, you know, perpetuating a hostile work environment, allegedly, and uh, was not a very nice person to work with. Jen Cohen will uh, be a nice correction for USC, and it uh, uh, you know it was a big day I think in her household and for USC uh, as they announced uh, the the hire of the first woman to ever ascend to be athletic director at USC. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com, and I and it's really interesting. The comment section surprised me a little bit. The Washington fans are not all happy about this, and I guess that that should be, I guess that should be um, expected. When somebody says, um, you know what, that's a better job, and they leave you in the rearview mirror, I think the the temptation for those being broken up with is to go, hey, you know, well, that person wasn't good anyway. We don't want them. It's kind of what the Pac-12 did when Colorado left. You know, the Pac-12 went, well, they never won anything. They weren't very good. Well, yesterday they were fine being part of your conference. You were proud to have them here, and today they're no good. But I think some of that is going on at, at, with Washington fans. I also think that um, the Washington State and Oregon State contingent somehow blame Jen Cohen, the athletic director at Washington, for being like the point person with Washington and Oregon leaving for the Big Ten Conference. And you know, I've tried to explain this to people, that the athletic directors in the Pac-12, they were in the room for parts of the conversation that the presidents and chancellors had in the last uh, 12 to 15 months in deciding the fate in the eventual demise of the Pac-12 conference. But the athletic directors were not the decision makers on that. They were providing some input for the presidents, you know, but largely the presidents and chancellors were leaning into consulting firms. They were leaning into each other. They were uh, talking with their boards and trying to make sure they weren't going to get fired by their trustees for acting and doing uh, something that may or may not be in the best interest of their university and their conference. But but uh, a lot of people mad at Jen Cohen and blaming her and saying, well, she broke up the conference. And I would remind people that even if you're talking about the breakup of what we knew to be the Pac-12 conference, let's be very careful here to not sort of put the blame on Oregon and Washington even. Like, I do think, like, you know, that ultimately they had to pull the trigger. And ultimately, because they did that, it caused the rest of the conference to go, hey, let's run for the hills. But I think you have to look at all the factors that went into putting Oregon and Washington in that predicament in the first place. As long as we are pointing fingers, let's point fingers at the presidents and chancellors who blew it, who had a $30 million deal on the table and said, no, 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 we're worth $50 million. Let's point fingers at George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner who, who let USC get away. Let's point a finger at USC for you know, not coming back to the table with the Pac-12 in the beginning and going, hey, wait a minute, we don't want to blow up the conference, but we need more money. I'm sure the Pac-12, armed with hindsight, would have went back to USC and said, hey, we can get you to $50 million. We can get you to $55 million. We'll do what we can do, the rest of us, to take a little less money to keep the conference together. That was a terrible misfire, a grave misfire by George Klyovkov, the, uh, you know, the Pac-12 conference's commissioner. And let's uh, let's assign some blame too to Larry Scott. How about Larry Scott? He was culpable in all that as well. So I I do think it you know it becomes easy to say oh it was Oregon it was Washington oh it was Phil Knight oh it was Jen Cohen oh it was you know yeah, there's a lot of 
CYA going around right now where people are covering themselves and pointing to others and going, well, no, it wasn't Oregon, it was Washington. Oh, no, it wasn't Washington, it was Oregon. Oh, no, it was Phil Knight. Oh, it wasn't Phil Knight. Oh, it was the presidents and chancellors. I think if you look at the dominoes that fell, we can very clearly say the it was a failure of leadership from the presidents and chancellors. It was a failure of leadership from the two conference commissioners. And it was, um, you know, probably a failure of leadership or maybe some... Uh, some backroom dealings uh, going on with Fox TV and Fox providing all of the ammunition for the Pac-12 conference uh, ending up in the predicament that it's in. We'll talk all about that with John Wilner in the 5 o'clock hour coming up. Uh, Judah Newby's in studio. Judah, they, they were freaking out in San Diego. I, you know, there was a, there was, they played a baseball game there on, like, Friday, Saturday night, and then all of a sudden they were like, oh, it's a tornado. People were doing sandbags. They had bulldozers out on the beaches. They closed the beaches. And ultimately, I looked at it and went, uh, you guys are acting like we act when it snows around here. Your point's a good one, yeah. When it does snow, we uh, we lose our cool a little bit. But I'm glad that you're back safe and healthy. I admit when, uh, when, when you were going down there, I was a little concerned. But you're right. It's, uh, TV news makes it out to seem like a, a massive, massive deal. And I saw the same photoshops you did and, uh, you know, thought there were sharks swimming along Highway 101. <laughs> it was crazy. Anna, Anna was good about this because she had said – Maybe a couple of weeks ago, she said, you know, college football season's coming. And I don't know if people have in, you know, I don't know what job you're in, whether you're listening to this, wherever you are. I don't know if there's a rhythm or there's a cycle to your job. But my job is not nine to five. It's not Monday through Friday. It is often um, very chaotic, spontaneous. News is breaking. It's a Friday night. I'm at a movie theater. I got to step out of the theater and take a call. It's just very... Um, you know, mercurial is the best way to put it. And and you got to be able to manage that. And Anna said to me a couple weeks ago, she goes, like, I'm a little worried about, you know, your rhythm because, you know, you're doing the radio show, you're writing, there's all this breaking news, you haven't really had a chance to relax. Even when we were on vacation, we went to New York on vacation in the summer. I really wasn't off. I was kind of working from the Statue of Liberty or wherever we were. And so she kind of remarked that, she said, you know, I think we need to do like just a getaway, you know, even if it's a weekend getaway. And so she had kind of pointed to this weekend and said, you know, that would be a good chance for you to decompress. Because I'll be honest, with like with realignment and expansion going on, like we joke around about like, hey, the garbage cans got left out by the curb for like three days after garbage day. Like, you know, kind of snicker, snicker, joke, joke about it. But the truth was like I was barely getting out of the house, Judah. Like there were some days I went like three days where I didn't leave the house as, you know, that week where it was the Thursday, Friday into Saturday with the Pac-12 kind of splintering. I did not leave the house. I didn't even go out. Of, like, as far as I got was the garage. That's as close as I got to getting out of the house. Now, I I understand that that's by my own doing, but I also think, like, you kind of get sucked into the vortex of, you know, you can't leave, you can't go far from your laptop, your phone, especially with that going on, because... You know, it's just not it's not going to be good if something happens. And so she was like, you you absolutely need to get away. And so we went down to San Diego and I'll be honest, like we didn't really do anything. We just sat by a pool and we just were there and I got some sun and it took me about a day to fully decompress and relax. But I even today I was like, you know what? I really needed that because we have a college football season coming. 
and I'm soon going to be on the road covering college football and doing the show and whatnot, and I want to be fresh for it. Like, I want to be locked in for it. And so there's just a part, like, I don't know if, you know, I have friends who work jobs that, like, they work city jobs. They work 9 to 5 Monday through Friday. They get the weekend, like, and, and they, that's, you know, they look at that as a benefit of their job. I have family members who are teachers. They get the summer for the most part. You know, they get the summer, even though, you know, the school year is a grind for them. They can always look forward to the summer. But I think it's part of what people who are in media, and particularly sports media, you don't really think about is your working nights, your working weekends. You don't have your summer. You don't have your weekend. So you better block out some time or you're going to lose your, your bleep in mind. Yeah, this was a really tough uh, summer to get a, a vacation in for you. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad that you were able to get a, a weekend. I think you were doing the kids' camp when Colorado left yeah. the conference. You know, you even broke news the morning of your celebrity golf tournament <laughs> with Portland Diamond yeah, Project. Right. Like basically any day that you've had off of the radio show, there's still been something major for you to cover at JohnKizzano.com. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm but I'm glad that you're back, and I'm glad that we have you back. And you're right, it's a big college football season coming up so it, it's uh, you know it's pedal to the metal coming up here in a couple of weeks i was talking to some friends who are media members in salt lake city about utah's season like they're they're freaking out in utah right now because they're down to their number three quarterback cam rising is uh told reporters that he expects to be cleared soon but they have a football game that is a week from thursday in salt lake city where they're going to be playing florida and last year the loss to Florida in week one derailed their season, and it took them weeks and weeks to get back on track, and they eventually clawed their way back to the Pac-12 championship game. But had they not lost that game to Florida, the the last month of their season would have been all about potentially being a playoff team. They're in a very different place right now, and they're kind of freaking out in Salt Lake City about, you know, Cam Rising's health and I'm I think like people have told me that that game has lost luster. I don't think so. Because there are a few coaches in the Pac-12 who can, if you give everybody the equal talent, if you give everybody the same problems, if you give everybody the same circumstance, there are three or four coaches that I think really rise and shine in moments like that. You know, I think anybody can win when they've got better talent and they're playing at home. And I got better players than you and I'm playing at home. My job is to not turn the ball over, not do dumb things. I probably win the game. And I think we've seen a lot of coaches. Mario Cristobal comes to mind. A lot of coaches that when you give them better talent, it, it's tough to beat them, especially if they know they have the better talent and they coach the game in that way. And that's why I think Cristobal was intentionally conservative. I think he, I think he knew he had better players, and if he didn't do anything nutty, that he was probably going to win the game. And so Kyle Whittingham's one of those coaches. I happen to think Chip Kelly is another one, and I think Jonathan Smith at Oregon State is is third. I think those three coaches, if you throw them, hey, you have to play this game without your starting quarterback, and in fact, you don't have your top two quarterbacks, but you get to play it at home, and you play it against the Florida team that has uh, got a whole bunch of turnover from last year, that becomes really compelling to me. That's like a really interesting week one matchup, and as much as people are going, hey, the Colorado-TCU game is more interesting, I don't think so, because I think TCU is just going to barnstorm. might be interesting to just talk about Coach Prime in, in his first game. But I think TCU is gonna, gonna, you know, gonna blast Colorado in in week one. And I think that Utah Florida game on Thursday 
for me, is the most interesting game of the week. Yeah, the Kyle Whittingham point's a really good one. I always think of, basically in conjunction with Kyle, and I know you do this as well, is Andy Ludwig and Morgan Scally are two of the best coordinators, if not the best coordinators in the conference. So, you know, Kyle leads the culture without question, but his skills are amplified by what he's got at the play caller positions on both the offense and defense, and that's what's going to help elevate Utah above whatever adversity that they're facing at the quarterback position in this game. And then Florida, it's just a it's a, it's a great brand, you know. When when the Beavs beat up on Florida, even though Florida was down seemingly half their roster, it was still a great feeling because you know Oregon State was whipping up on an SEC brand, and hopefully for Utah's sake and and the conference's sake in this very final season of Pac-12 ball, the Utes can do something similar. Yeah, and I think there are a few games that I look at in the in the non-conference schedule in the first three weeks that are very important for the Pac-12 as a brand because, you know, the, the conference is going to be judged on how it plays against other conferences. And the problem is that some of the non-conference games, the crossover games that, that pit Pac-12 teams against SEC teams or Big 12 teams in particular, don't involve the best teams in the conference. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you've got teams that are that everybody views as contenders, but then you have like Arizona playing Mississippi State in week two on the road. OK, one of the Pac-12's, you know, teams that you'd probably pick to be somewhere between sixth and eighth in the conference playing against the Mississippi State team. You have Arizona State that everybody would probably pick maybe to be 10th in the Pac-12 playing against Oklahoma State. You have Cal, who people would probably pick to be ninth or 10th, playing against Auburn. And you got Colorado playing TCU and Nebraska. So, you know, right there, you have six, or excuse me, five non conference games against Cal, Arizona State, Arizona, and Colorado. Like, that's not going to bode well for the Pac 12. Like, the Pac 12 probably, if they win one or two of those, is feeling pretty good about themselves. But. So it places a lot of emphasis or a lot of priority, I think, on Oregon going to Texas Tech in Week 2. Oregon's got to win that game for the conference. And it places some uh, extra oomph on Utah playing uh, Florida and Baylor in Weeks 1 and 2, even though they don't have their starting quarterback, presumably, uh, as of right now. And it places some uh, emphasis on Washington, Michigan State in Week 3, um, and then, you know, Washington State plays Wisconsin, but again, that's a bottom half of the Pac-12 team as as we uh, project right now. So it really is uh, very important for Utah to beat Florida, even if it's ugly, in, in that week one game. All right, we got Punch It Audio coming up. You'll hear some of Jen Cohen as she was introduced to media in Southern California. Plus, uh, we'll get a visit from one of the regents at the University of Michigan at the 4 o'clock hour. And John Wilner in hour number three, the happy hour. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Well, we uh, scour Earth looking for the best audio over the weekend, and uh, we share it with you. And uh, I'm very proud of uh, a lot of things on this show, but one of the things I'm most proud of is Punch It Audio. We will play it coming up. Um, Dave is in southeast Portland. He wants to talk about the hire of Jen Cohen at USC. Dave, what's on your mind? Well, first of all, thanks, John, for taking the call. Um, I listen to you on the radio. I read your articles. I'll have to say I'm not 100% agreeable to some of the things you write, but I was totally impressed with your article this morning about Jen Cohen. Now, I have to admit I'm a little partial. She's our daughter-in-law, but she did a hell of a job at Washington. 
I hate to see her go to USC, but she's going to do a fantastic job there. And thanks for the article. You did well, great. I, I, you know, I'll say this. I, I'm glad you don't agree with everything that I write and I say because that would mean that you are a little crazy, and also it, it would mean it would be boring. Um, she's your daughter-in-law. That that's fantastic. I, she's such a good person. I think that's part of what makes her work. Is, you know, I think she is a real person, and I think she'll bring some personality and uh, some warmth to that athletic director office as she walks in but she's super smart super engaged i think you know it'd be interesting to see her operate at a private university versus a public school with the resources she's got at usc but uh, i have to think that's pretty exciting for the whole family oh, i think it really is uh we wish her the best of luck too and besides that she gets to celebrate a birthday tomorrow too so it's a hell of well, a how birthday about that? present how about that there you go dave All i right, appreciate thanks. that you listen thank you man All right, bye there, there's dave in southeast portland See, that's why you come to the show, because the family is listening to the show. Um, I don't want to like USC. I don't. I've said that multiple times. I do not want to like Caleb Williams. I do not want to like Lincoln Riley. But I'll tell you, I talked to Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley on media day, and I left going, damn it, they're both pretty nice. They're both saying the right things. You know, They gave me no reason to dislike them beyond uh, the fact that they uh, are uh, suiting up and coaching at USC. Jen Cohen's the same way. She's going to make it very difficult for people who hate USC to go, oh, this is old, same old snobby USC. Remember when when Mike Bowen, the uh, athletic director that uh, resigned in uh, in the wake of this, uh, or excuse me, before this hiring of Jen Cohen, um, Mike Bowen, when he hired Lincoln Riley, stood up at the at the news conference, the introductory news conference, had the band there, had the song girls there. You know, they were all dancing and, you know, it was a big show for you, the strength of USC and all that nonsense. Uh, remember what Bowen said? Uh, you know, he talked about the, you know, the the shape shifting move that this hire was going to be, and it was frankly, it was obnoxious. When we began this process, our goal was to find the right leader for USC and our football players. It was never our goal to change the landscape of college football with one of the biggest moves in the history of the game. But we did exactly that. Not quite the response he was expecting. Woo. <laughs> Judah, was, is that obnoxious? Or yeah. Am I the only one that finds that whole, we never intended to be bleeping awesome, but we are, <laughs> you know? Like, the way you put it in your column today, yeah, it was exactly that. Yeah, it was this big chest thumping that was so obnoxious and so USC, and turns out it was so uh, on on brand for Mike Bone. But you're right. I love that little whimper of a yell in the background. Woo! Like, Woo! <laughs> Somebody great. got it. He had one. <laughs> he got one. Oh, that's phenomenal. All right, let's, uh, let's play some Punch It audio on that note. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Jennifer Cohen introduced today as the new athletic director at USC. She talked about leading and how her style will uh, will affect and impact 
the, the early weeks at USC. Punch it. Leading USC athletics is not just an opportunity of a lifetime. It is a responsibility of a lifetime. I will lead with integrity and with character and with heart. And I will lead with passion in a way that will be embarrassing sometimes on the sidelines. So everybody, I'm preparing you for that. I get, I get a little fired up during games and all competition. She is uh, a mother of two sons who compete in college athletics, including one of her sons. Her youngest son is at Montana as a football player. Her other son, uh, Tyson, played baseball. He's now playing golf at his community college in in Spokane. Here's Jennifer Cohen talking about her kids. Punch it. Okay, I'm not going to get emotional, so I'm like, I'm not going to be the girl up here that's going to cry, right? Because that will be the headline. Um, but I, I want to talk about my sons for a second, because this is the first time in my career I've ever been in anything this big and this meaningful to me without them. So Tyson and Dylan are both in college, college age, as uh, Dr. Fold mentioned, they're, they're student athletes. And they have just given, first of all, they're my everything. And they have given me so much perspective on how to show up to work every day and really thinking about the environment that we should be building for our student athletes and for their families. You know, I dropped Dylan, my youngest, off at University of Montana just a couple weeks ago. He's playing football there. So he's in starting week three of, of, of fall camp. I called him last night. We FaceTime. I said, when he starts school, he's like, I have no idea. I love football. I'm like, no, you're a student athlete. So we're, we're going to focus on that. But taking him through the recruiting process, moving him into the dorm, seeing just how you know intimidating and exciting, dreams, fears, it really does inform you know me, and so I do come to the job as a mother, and I, it's really something that I'm very proud of. Jen Cohen, new athletic director at USC. It's, I think, the best hire that USC has made. I'm going back. I mean, I, I would have to go back to maybe before the Pete Carroll era to, to talk about, you know, what a good hire this is for USC. It's a loss for Washington. Clearly, we'll talk more about what Washington must do in uh, the wake of this decision. They're both going off to the Big Ten Conference, but uh, Jen Cohen will be doing it as part of the USC family. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, he's uh, prepping for San Jose State, but they're not going to start their game prep for that week until later this week. Here's what the next two weeks will look like. For Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, punch it. We'd like to transition from kind of training camp to game prep. And so we give them those two days to kind of transition. We'll give these guys on Thursday individually with their coach and just kind of see where they're at, where uh, right their current role, where we see it, and, and moving forward, what they got to emphasize to, to continue to grow. So we'll spend Thursday doing that. Friday will be heavy San Jose State prep. And then uh, Saturday practice moving forward will be all San Jose. It'll be all San Jose. They'll open in an unusual Sunday game, 12.30 kickoff Sunday of Labor Day weekend at Spartan Stadium or whatever they call Spartan Stadium in San Jose. Be very important for Jonathan Smith to have a starting quarterback who's not looking over his shoulder. Oregon State's coach said that that competition is starting to become clear to him. Punch it. Has there been any separation of quarterbacks? You know, it's been a lot of work done, and so it's becoming more and more clear. Uh, again, we'll be able to sit down with those guys on Thursday. Becoming more clear. Come on, it's it's got to be DJ Uyunglele, right? Feels that way.
Bill Belichick uh, giving an encouraging update on Isaiah Bolden on WEEI Radio in Boston. Bolden uh, back with the team, Belichick says. Punch it. Uh, yeah, he flew back with us yesterday. And, um, uh, you know, I thought it was a really um, impressive uh, just watching, uh, you know, the situation. Uh, the doctors, you know, so Dr. Martin, um, Dr. Corrado, who's an emergency doctor, Jim Whalen, and those guys were right on right on top of it. And, um, you know, I walked out there to, to see, and, and not, I, mean, I don't know anything, but just watching them and the way they handled it all was, I think, you know, fantastic. Um, and so I talked to Isaiah yesterday, and uh, he's, you know, in good spirits, you know, recovering, obviously. But um, so let's take it day to day. Just take it day to day. But um, certainly seems a lot better today than, than it looked like, uh, you know, Saturday night. So that's a good thing. Good for him to fly back with the team. Everybody see him, and uh, you know, he's got a lot of support here. It was a freaky collision. Uh, Bolden is a seventh round pick out of Jackson State, and he appeared to collide with one of his teammates while trying to make a hit on a pass completion against the Packers. Um, he uh, lay on the field. It looked like it was serious. He was brought off the field in the fourth quarter. Game was suspended after the injury. Glad he's okay. And it appears that uh, him being with the team, this is a uh, this is a good thing. Tyjon Lindsey got a big punt return in against the Cowboys. Former Beaver. Here it is on Seahawks TV. Punch it. The NFL back in Lindsey all the way up towards. He got space. He got space. Tyjon Lindsey. He's got space indeed. The former Oregon State Beaver taking it all the way down to the Cowboys 30-yard line. What a return from Tyjon Lindsey. Tyjon Lindsey, great job, young man. Three receptions, 36 yards. He had the 27-yard punt return there. Sounded pretty good there for that former Beaver. What's his What's his prognosis? What chances does he have to make this roster with the Seahawks? Stick on this roster, Judah, as you see it. Yeah, he definitely helped himself. I'm always skeptical in free season, and it's going to go from, you know, 90-some guys to 53 in one big swoop. There's no gradual cut-down days like there used to be. It's going to be one cut-down day, and I'm hopeful, but I'm not I'm not too hopeful. But the, at the same time, a great reason that you get to play multiple preseason games before getting cut is that he's got great tape out there now. And even if he doesn't get picked up by the Seahawks or stick on this roster, someone is going to get great film on him and will we'll have a need for him. So good job by Tyjon. It's 5'8", 172. At least that's what they list him as. He might be smaller than that. His size isn't great. He runs a 4'4", 740, but you're right. Being a, being a guy that is trying desperately to make a roster, getting some, uh, getting some big plays in a preseason game uh, doesn't hurt. Jack Coletto, his former teammate, he's with the 49ers. Jack Hammer found the end zone over the weekend. Punch it. Play action. Coletto's wide open in the right flank. And he's got a touchdown. Perfect timing. I thought Coletto, I thought that this was going to be a collision of the night with Turner Yell out there bearing down on him. And Coletto just gave him a little okey dunk and said, I guess you're not going to hit me. Good vision and fell inside for the score. Jack Coletto's a football player, and he made a football play. I thought it was a remarkable reception. And, uh, you know, most people will miss what Tim Ryan caught there. The fact that there are a lot of fullbacks or big backs 
in the uh, in the NFL that would have been looking for a collision there and not looking to get to the end zone. Coletto, 10-yard reception, first touchdown of the preseason, looked and acted like a guy who had been there before. Damian Lillard on KPNX in Phoenix, talking about uh, life and sports. Oh, Dame caused a stir over the weekend. Punch it. I mean, mentally, I'm I'm strong. You know, I think uh, the last year and some change of my life overall, you know, just not even just sports, it's been a tough time, you know. Um, but right now, I'm in a strong place. Uh, I think anytime I can come be in this environment, like I said, it's a lot of my loved ones that are here um, doing what we do at this camp, pouring into other people. That brings me joy. You know, that's something that lifts me up. So to be here is helpful. Um, spending a lot of time with my kids and, and being with my family. You know, I've got to travel some this summer. I've had a great summer training. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of things now to to pour into myself, you know, and lift myself up. And it's been really helpful. So I would say I'm in a, a very strong place. And, um, you know, my process has been the same going into the season that that has been any other time, except I'm just, I would say I'm just getting, I'm getting better as a, as a man. Um, and I think that um, that really helps me, you know, as far as my career goes. Anytime I can be improving myself as a man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be positive for me in my career. Damian Lillard over the weekend unfollowed the Trailblazers on Instagram. Passive-aggressive. Also setting the table for what should be a month or six weeks of speculation and angst. And what is going on with Lillard? I want to open the phone lines on that topic as Damian Lillard and the Blazers apparently come to an impasse and Lillard unfollows the team on social media. It got me wondering, will the fans in Portland turn on Lillard? Have they already grown tired of the passive aggressiveness, the refusal for him to say out loud what he really means and talking cryptically about the last year, you know, life, not just sports has been tough. What is he talking about? 503-417-7575. I want you to frame this Damian Lillard uh, dilemma. I guess that's the best way to put it. Still technically a trailblazer. Would be expected to show up in training camp. Holding his own camp in Phoenix. Talking about how hard it's been for him in the last year while unfollowing the Blazers on Instagram. What do you make of it? I want to hear from you. Where does he stand in your mind? Is there anything he could do? That would cause you to turn on him. 503-417-7575. Let's kick it around. I think Damian Lillard's playing with fire. I think he is. I, we all know that James Harden wants to be traded. What does he do? He stands in front of a bunch of kids, 8, 9, 10 years old in China, as he's conducting a camp, and he says, you know, I'll never work with the general manager of my team again. He's a liar. Um, you know, he makes it very clear and tries to make it as untenable as possible for his team to keep him. And I don't like that, okay? But I'll tell you what I don't like even more. I don't like the passive-aggressive, I won't say the quiet part out loud because I don't want to be perceived as a bad guy while Damian Lillard essentially does the same thing behind the scenes, very quietly and passive-aggressively, uh, trying to orchestrate his his way out of Portland. He unfollows the Trailblazers Instagram account uh, 
over the weekend. And, you know, bless the people who look for such things. I wouldn't have noticed it ever. But somebody called it to my attention. Several other people on social media who follow such things just noted, hey, he's not following the Blazers anymore. And uh, he did that. He's doing this while he is putting on his camp, his elite basketball camp in Phoenix. And I think it was hard enough for some people to go, hey, why is he doing it in Phoenix? There's some gyms he could do this at in Portland. He lives in Portland. Doesn't he like Portland anymore? It, it you know, it, that becomes sort of a uh, insecurity, I think, in our market when we see players, especially free agents, who don't pick Portland. But now you have a player who's under contract, who was drafted by the team, who has been nothing but a good citizen and been more than loyal to the organization, suddenly posturing in a way that uh, is not very loyal. Uh, Damian Lillard, speaking to reporters in Phoenix, says uh, that life is much harder to deal with than sports. Here's Lillard. Yeah, I mean, life is dealing with life is much harder than dealing with you know, you're a profession, a sport. So um, I definitely think that I've, in life in general, since I was a kid, I've been equipped to deal with whatever comes, and it's no different now. I, I, I agree with him, and I think if you know his story, he didn't have that clean, easy path that some NBA stars had when they were identified at age 12, 13, 14, and ushered into the elite camps and handed scholarships and, uh, you know, had basically uh, the road to the NBA paved for them. He had to work. He had to go to Weber State. He had a chip on his shoulder. He's drafted by the Blazers. Went to a small market team. You know, uh, always seemingly had that snarl to him. But let's not confuse that with real life. Like, you know, he's still a high-level NBA athlete who will be making uh, $50 million a year as he suits up to play a game this year. It's a little different than probably a lot of our listeners who um, are going to work a lot harder and deal with more complex issues for a lot less money. So I kind of wonder at what point this passive-aggressive, I want out of Portland, but I won't come out and say it, I kind of wonder at what point it will rub you the wrong way. Because parts of it rub me the wrong way. He didn't have to sign the contract extension in Portland that kept him, that will keep him in a Blazers uniform through 26 27. Uh, he didn't have to sign that. He could have been an unrestricted free agent, but he wanted the money. He wanted the security. So he signed the deal and then told his agent, get me the hell out of here. Um, it, it's different than what James Harden is doing, but I also think uh, there's part of it that bothers me because it's not very authentic, it's not on the level. And I want to know what you think of it. Is there any part of you uncomfortable with how this is playing out? Well, some of the people who love Damian Lillard ultimately go, you know what, not so much anymore. I'm a little tired of this. Because I'm looking at it and I'm going, great player, really good offensive player, had defensive deficiencies, never could uh, you know, play in a way that made other star players in the league want to play alongside him. But I give him credit because he stayed loyal to the franchise for as long as you know fans stayed loyal to the franchise and he's had about enough but i am a little bit weary already with what could become i think a major distraction in the early part of the preseason training camp and season if lillard's not traded and i'm kind of wondering at what point he is going to speak to it and say hey i'm here i'm under contract 
I don't want to be here. I would love to be traded. Will he say it out loud, or is he just going to go around passively, aggressively, unfollowing the Blazers on social media accounts, pouting silently while holding his camps in other cities? Like, at what point is Damian Lillard going to go public and say what he's really thinking out loud? He's left everybody, I think, in a position where they're having to guess and interpret his cryptic tweets and his actions on social media. I think it's a real disrespect to the fan base in Portland. I think he's flirting with potentially turning people off. And I think Damian Lillard owns the city. And I, but I think there are a lot of people who are going, well, you don't want to be here. Or do you? Like, you won't say it. But what do you think? 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phone lines. Sam's in Portland. Sam, help me out here. John, I, I have to disagree with you. I, I've i been a fan of the Blazers. I've told you this many times, you know, since I was a kid. And the reason we're in this situation is because of the Blazer organization. It's not Damien. We know what Damien wants. I, I wonder, you know, maybe you can answer this question. He seems to be pretty level-headed and thinks about his decision-making and what he does, you know. I wonder if somebody's consulting him or, or, you know, suggesting certain things that he does, or is this just on emotion? But at the end of the day, we know what he wants. And I'm a team guy. I'm a Steeler guy. I'm a Blazer guy. I love players, certain players, but if they want to leave, they don't want to, you know, be part of the team, they want to go, fine. You know, and Damien's given everything he's got to this city, and this, this, the, the team has not reciprocated, has not done the yeah. same for him. Well, yeah, I but, I, yeah I, I get what you're saying, but I also think he's been paid for uh, for the effort he's put in. Like, fans have not been compensated the way that Damian Lillard has. We'll continue to talk about this, plus we'll get a visit from one of the University of Michigan regents next. What is expansion and realignment really about? Is it about football? Is it about student-athletes? Is it about television? Is it about money? What is it really about? We've talked in and around this for several months. And we have seen in the Pac-12 footprint a mass defection of schools that have left a conference decimated, if not dissolved. Pac-12, as we once knew it, gone. Oregon... Washington, the latest two teams in the Pac-12, announcing that they will join USC and UCLA in the Big Ten Conference. Hell, I covered the Big Ten Conference in the late 1990s. It's a great conference, great fans, some great college towns. But it felt far away from the Pacific time zone. It still feels far away from the Pacific time zone. University of Michigan Regent, Jordan Acker. He's a girl dad like me. I've got three. He's got three. He's a lawyer. He is a regent at the University of Michigan. And he had what I thought was one of the most important statements that were made by anybody in the last several months as it pertains to expansion. When he broke his silence and essentially just said, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I see. Here's what I see is interesting. I wanted to get him on the show to talk about it, to talk about what he has seen in college athletics, what he is watching happen in the Big Ten, and what he makes of all of it. And so here to talk about it uh, 
University of Michigan Regent Jordan Acker joining us. Three daughters, just like me, man. Bless you. Well, you know, it's funny. Just before you came in there, first of all, thanks for having me, John. Uh, good afternoon to uh, to you. Uh, I had my five-year-old dump an entire uh, container of Parmesan all over the floor, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> you know how that I is. I love it. I love that. <laughs> you know what? People keep telling me that one day I'll miss stuff like that. And so I tell myself that when in the moment, you know, <laughs> one day I'll miss it. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. My uh, my in-laws are in town this week, and the moment this Parmesan fiasco happened, they took off out the door. So I don't <laughs> think you actually missed yeah. it. No, I think you want to get out of there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Let's talk. Uh, let's dive into realignment, expansion, all of this stuff. And I, I kind of want to go back to, like, August 6th. You have this incredible thread on Twitter that went viral, and I saw it, and I just nodded my head as I read it. But you know, where are you sitting when you go, when you finally decide to sit down and break, you know, say, hey, I've been holding my tongue and, and you just start writing? Yes. Yeah, so I was actually, the University of Michigan has an alumni camp in northern Michigan, about four hours north of Ann Arbor. And I was sitting and having breakfast with a couple of friends, um, one of whom, of course, was is a uh, former All Big Ten uh, linebacker. And this friend's telling me about how the, you know, how the travel and we're talking about the impact it's going to have. And I thought more about it. And I said, look, we're, we're all at a point where we know what, what this is. This is about money. This is about, this is about protecting brands, but this is a business. And, you know, people tell me that I was brave. I had multiple coaches reach out to me, both from within the big 10 conference and some coaches who would be joining the Big Ten Conference soon, a couple SEC coaches reached out to me, a couple athletic directors, a couple board members, the president. But I don't think it's that brave. I think it's just being honest about what we are here. And for me, it's not about, look, we're going to go back to the old days where it's the Big Ten and the Pac-10 and they, they play in the Rose Bowl and there's no such thing as a national champion. Look, those days are all gone, right? The, the days, and you know, we, we joke about this uh, – at Michigan, the, the January 1st, 1981, the biggest story was that the head football coach at the University of Michigan was making $100,000. $100,000, it seems kind of quaint now, doesn't it? And so I think the point is, is that it's not 1981. It's certainly not 2005, 2006. It's not even 2016. Things have changed significantly. This is a bigger business. And this was done entirely at the behest of executives at TV networks, which is fine if you consider it a business. But I don't know another business on earth that part of their business model is simply not compensating uh, the primary employees. Because let's be honest, that's, that's, that's part of the problem here, is that we ha- the enormous hypocrisy of college athletics is simply too much to bear for me at this point to say, look, you're either – you're not student-athletes, you know, going from – Ann Arbor to to Eugene, Oregon is not the behavior of a student athlete. It's the behavior of an employee. And we have to be serious and realistic about what we're dealing with here. And it's not amateurism. It's not. And, you know, for me, it was just a time to speak out and, and speak truth to what's happening here. And I think I personally was a little surprised. I was up in the woods and I turned my phone off, turned off my laptop and came back a few hours later to hundreds of text messages and calls and tweets 
I didn't realize what, what kind of an impact this would have on people. But I don't want you know, my primary message to be lost, which is that it's just the presidents have ceded the power to the commissioners who have ceded the power to networks. And if you want to know what the primary problem is in college sports, that is it. That's what it comes down to. Did you get blowback at all from Big Ten presidents, commissioners, TV executives? Was there any negativity that came out of it? No, and, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I, I spoke to my president. I spoke to our athletic director, <clears throat> Ward Manuel, uh, shortly after this, and uh, both were supportive and agreed in a lot of ways uh, with what I had said. Um, you know, it, it, here's the thing is that, you know, I, Mark Silverman at Fox is a friend. Um, I like them, but they're doing their job. Their job is to maximize TV viewers for the Fox networks, right? At some point, the presidents and the commissioners have to stand up and start doing their jobs. And I include Charlie Baker in that as well. Because if you're really out there saying, I got to do what's right for a student athlete, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And let's be real. This was just, sure, we can say the Big Ten is responsible and the Big Ten killed the Pac-12, but this has been going on for a very long time. You know, the ACC killed the Big East. You know, the, the, you, could, you could add, sure, Rutgers and Maryland into this, going into the Big Ten. But this has been a constant in college sports, and it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of like, when is enough enough? And I think for me the answer is, this is enough. Yeah, and, I, think a lot, uh, I, I think that's really what it comes down to. I think a lot of people, especially in the Pacific time zone, felt like the, that the Pacific time zone teams have not mattered in the college football playoff. And now it feels like the Pacific time zone outside of the L.A. schools, outside of Oregon and Washington, that you know the rest of the college world and TV world just frankly didn't see the value in it. You raised a point about the travel, and we're not talking about football that's going to travel by chartered flights and stay in five-star hotels. We're talking about you know, the tennis team, the golf team, the volleyball team, the soccer teams that are going to take connecting flights, you know, the Michigan athletes that are going to have to get to Eugene, and you know, that's, that's going to be a difficult one. And uh, it's going to put an incredible strain on the 5,000 Pac-12 athletes that are going to have to go off into other places, not to mention the Big Ten and the Big 12 and... You know, I start to think, Jordan, that maybe football should be like maybe Chip Kelly's right. Football should go do its own thing. I, I actually think Chip Kelly is entirely right about this. You know, I, when it comes to football, I entirely see the value of it. You know, I, I understand because it's a business. Again, it's a completely different world from the tennis team, from the soccer team. Those are those are Olympic sports, and those should be regionalized. There is no need for a, a Michigan athlete to get on a plane in Detroit and fly through Seattle to Eugene for a regular Big Ten game. That does not make any sense. But the, again, this comes down to the university presidents have to make this call, and they haven't. Over and over and over again, they do what's right for them, which is fair, but there's no grown-ups in the room. There's no commissioner. You know, Charlie Baker and the NCAA have completely ceded this space, as far as I can tell, to say what's right for the student athletes. And it's clear, and you know this, it's clear that, you know, going to, uh, you know, going, staying, having those games in the Pacific Northwest or in the LA area or in Arizona makes way more sense than athletes getting on a plane and flying to Newark, New Jersey to drive another hour to Rutgers. That's ridiculous. 
And I think everyone realizes it. The problem is, again, there's no grown-ups in the room to tell, to tell people this is wrong, and it doesn't actually make any sense. Why do you think the presidents won't speak up? Because I have tried to get them on this show. I talk to them off air. They're happy to talk on background. But, you know, you're a lawyer. I mean, is there a legal issue looming? Is Are they just afraid to step forward and, you know, and say what we all say, the quiet part out loud? Hey, it's about money, and we know we have to drag the volleyball team along to get it because, you know, we didn't take time to think about regionalizing the other sports, and when that happens, we'll fix it. Yeah, so I, I have a, a theory on this, and it's not from talking to any particular president, though. Obviously, I talked to several uh, in, in this job. You have to remember that for a lot of administrators, the number one goal among everything else, first of all, you've got to keep the money flowing, right? That's key because it drives donations to the rest of the institution. But the second part is, and this is key, is that there is a goal to prevent athletes from becoming employees. Right. And once you figure out that those are the two goals and you work back from them, you realize why no one wants to talk about this, because conversations about this lead to lawsuits. Right. And they believe that they're not fulfilling their fiduciary duty to their institutions if they speak out, say the truth, which is that these these student quote student athletes are clearly going to be employees at some point. They don't want to be the ones that that kick us there. But ultimately, I think, there's a, I think there's a real fear of it, and I think there's a real fear of being the only one standing up uh, and speaking out when, when, things are, uh, when things are changing. I think that's, that's a really difficult thing for a lot of these presidents to do, and a lot of them don't want to deal with athletics in the first place hmm. because that's not what they're, they're, they're not business people. They're academics, and that, that creates a really different perspective, I think, for a university president, and they're suddenly thrown into a – you know, a multi-million or billion-dollar business that they know almost nothing about. It's 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 a it's a tremendous tremendous challenge, and you know I think it's pretty clear from the track record of the last 20 years that the people that they've employed to handle this, that the commissioners have not done such a great job. You know, we are not in a better place in college sports now than we were 20 years ago, but a big part of this reason is because. You know, allowing employees to or allowing student athletes to become employees, to maybe unionize or maybe not, or become employees of a you know the conference or something like that hasn't been thought through. Instead, we're stuck with the worst possible solution because they want to avoid employee status almost at all costs. University of Michigan Regent Jordan Acker is with us, father of three girls and a lawyer in his spare time joining us. Um, give give yeah. me an idea. Give me an idea, Jordan. You know, people we we hear about regents, we hear about trustees. Um, and, you know, I and I know one of the questions I'll get is, OK, why didn't the regents push back against the presidents that wanted to make these moves out in the Pac-12? Or, you know, why wasn't there more accountability there? And give us an idea in your world as a regent how that conversation or maybe, you know, if Michigan was going to leave the Big Ten and join the Pac-12, it was the other way around. How would that go down in your world? Well, in Michigan, things are a little bit different because I'm a publicly elected official. I don't own, you know, my seat to a donation to, or to to the institution. I was elected statewide in 2018. So my first and foremost obligation is to the people of the state of Michigan and doing what's right for the people of the state of Michigan first before anything else when it comes to anything involving the university. 
So with with other boards, they, they're appointed, some come through alumni. It, it sort of depends on where you are. But we all have the same fiduciary duty, which is to do best by our institution, right? And I think that's why people get caught up and say, well, why didn't you push back against President Ono and the other presidents who are pushing this? And the reality is, is and this displays my own hypocrisy, I completely admit this. It, it is in the financial best interest of the University of Michigan to, to have this expansion. It was, it was in the best interest to add USC, to add UCLA, and to add Oregon and Washington as well. But as an elected official, I also have the freedom to say the whole system is rotten. And where are we going with this? And that's a freedom that, frankly, a lot of trustees just don't have. Um, and I think it's actually my obligation to speak up and say, you know what, we did this, this happened, but this whole system isn't right, and we got to get some grown-ups in the room to fix it, and soon, otherwise we're going to see a continued collapse of the tradition that we know as college athletics. You mentioned television. Uh, you know, there's uh, growing sentiment. I'm uncomfortable with the role of television and and how they're uh, driving things, and I can clearly see the the you know the possibility of an antitrust issue on on the TV side if it could ever be proven, but. Um, I'm wondering what the breaking point will be, or, or if, like if you say, if you say, hey, it's enough, it's rotten, we can all see it. What do you think causes um, a wholesale decision where college athletics takes maybe the advice of the Knight Commission and says, hey, we're going to separate football, football's different, Chip Kelly's right. What, you know, will it take something else, or do you think we're at that point? You know, what I would say about that is, is that there are, the Knight Commission has come up with some great solutions. But every decision, that major decision from the that the, has involved the NCAA and television, starting in 1984 when the University of Oklahoma sued the NCAA to free up their television rights, has come at you know at, at a judge's uh, uh, decision, and that's what I expect here as well. I don't think I think the power is too diffuse amongst conference commissioners. I think people are deathly afraid of lawsuits, and I think that the next step is is that this is going to get imposed on, uh, on college athletics as a whole. I would not like to see it that way. I would like to see the leaders of college athletics, maybe even with the leaders of television, say, look, we need to separate football in the same way, by the way, that this happened in England with the Premier League 30 years ago, and leave everything else alone and figure out a way to trickle down the money to make sure you can still run you know, the 29 varsity sports that we have at Michigan. But I don't think that they I, – I honestly don't think that they will. I think that they're going to wait for these decisions to come down, and I think ultimately the courts are going to make this decision and impose these things on the NCAA within the next four or five years. And it's, it's you know, this, this, it, this failure of the NCAA in Washington to get anything passed is just exactly – it's exactly part of the problem. You're doing the same thing over and over again. They try to Hail Mary in Washington – it's not going to work. Now the courts will impose it. And it's sad, but this is ultimately how the NCAA has operated uh, in, in its modern existence. Jordan Acker is with us, Regent, University of Michigan, uh, also uh, a lawyer by trade. Jordan, uh, you know, Oregon State and Washington State are in a precarious position because they have essentially been eliminated from a Power Five conference. Now, depending what Stanford and Cal do, they may be on their own. Um, and they're probably... You know, they would hear your words and say, "Okay, how do we 
how do we navigate the next four or five years so that we're in position to be included if if it's you know the top 64 teams or the top 100 teams or whatever belongs in major college football how do we how do we stay included how do we stay relevant it's i think it's a real challenge for a program like washington state and oregon state because you know this season they'll be a power five team and next season they may not be yeah i mean in oregon state especially that's a team that's going to contend for the pac-12 championship this year in football i mean I, I unfortunately i think the best thing you can do if you're a university like that is to keep your football team as strong as possible keep your profile as strong as possible and your academic profile as strong as possible but look the, the reality is is oregon state and washington state and to a lesser extent cal and stanford though i would say that them not joining the big 10 is the biggest indictment of what i've been saying at all if you're yeah. talking about two of the best public universities in the world and they don't have a spot in the Big Ten Conference, tells you exactly what it is, which is a business, right? In Oregon State and Washington State, they, they, I know they're in a, rough, in a rough position, but their presidents are not wilting flowers here. Their presidents were involved in all these Pac-12 decisions that led to this point. And, you know, you have to be very clear-eyed and realize this is a business. You have to keep your brand up as much as you can over the next few years. And you have to hope that the right situation develops. It may, it may not. Um, but ultimately, those are great schools. They're going to find a good place. But it's going to be enormously challenging to recruit and retain student-athletes and coaches once they're no longer in, in the Pac-12 or whatever the successor conference looks like. I mean, that's, be clear-eyed about that. That's a tremendous business challenge. Next uh, for you and, and for fans and listeners who are listening and – is there um, a lawmaker they should be lobbying? Is uh, is there noise they they should be making that that causes college athletics or maybe the courts one day to to, to intervene? Well, so there's a couple of of big cases right now. You know, the two that they that fans should be looking out are on the Johnson case and the NLRB decision. Um, and my sense is is that if, uh, if, if President Biden is reelected, that I would expect sometime in the next couple of years, the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, will declare student-athletes as employees and will attempt to enforce that decision. Um, and I think the only question is, what, does the, what do the courts do on this? You know, the other, the other part is, is that this is not a liberal conservative thing. If you're you're looking for, you know, uh, Trump appointees, Brett Kavanaugh absolutely filleted the NCAA uh, in the in his concurrence to the Alston decision. There is no home for the NCAA on any of these decisions. So it's just a question of which case reaches the Supreme Court first and and how badly do the justices, liberal and conservative, want to absolutely destroy this organization? And they will. Um, they, there is no home, no quarter for any of this. Um, the NCAA's days uh, as a, a governing body in the way that it is right now with student-athletes not as employees, not as employees of a conference, are numbered. It just depends on how, how many numbers there are. Jordan Acker, University of Michigan Regent. Uh, Jordan, I really appreciate your time. You know, I keep saying, you know, I can't wait for football season. It'll give us a chance to focus on the football, but... I don't think this is going away. I mean, it's obviously going to be operating in the background all season long throughout the Pac-12 and other conferences uh, across the country, and then next year in the Big Ten for for uh, the expanded Big Ten and the expanded Big 12. I, I just think it's the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. 
It, it is, and you know, I think that fans will will forget about this when it's all said and done, and football will start, and the bands will come back, and you'll be back and uh, back in the stadiums. And the the media people are probably right, but look, the reality is is that major college football has changed, and it would be it, the way to save it is by changing the model. That is ultimately the most important thing here is this isn't going to work for women's tennis. And we need to make sure that we can protect those student-athletes and eliminate the hypocrisy that just inhabits all of these decisions over expansion. But I will say, as a fan, the thought of going to Austin again, I am so excited for that. <laughs> and that's that'll do it. All right. Good luck with the Parmesan. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate you uh, speaking out and becoming kind of the voice of reason on this. I think uh, there's a lot more to be said, so we'll check back in with you as this develops. But thank you, Jordan, so much. Sounds great. Have a good afternoon. All right. There there he is, Jordan Acker. He's a regent at the University of Michigan. I want your reaction to that. What did you hear there? What are you thinking? Is he spitting truth? Does it make you mad and uncomfortable, or you just, hey, just show me the baby, put the game on the TV, I don't care about every, anything else? 503-417-7575. Anna has popped into the studio. Anna, it is your birthday today. Happy birthday. Thank you. How's your birthday going? Great. Yeah? Oh, How so? Like Give us an idea. Are no. you a big birthday person? Uh, No, actually, I, I was just happy today hanging out with the girls um took them to a playground took the dog to the dog park mm. uh you know we kind of went out for breakfast and that was nice i'm I, I i don't know am i should i be we we also had a great weekend away so maybe i would be less satisfied if we hadn't had that i yeah i talked to uh our listeners off the top of the show today about how dramatic people in san diego were acting as this light drizzle was on the horizon and showing up on Sunday morning. Uh, I'm sure the uh, hurricane hitting, uh, you know, some areas, the the desert areas that have been, you know, inundated with flooding, big deal. But in San Diego, it was kind of mellow. Yeah, it was really mellow. And then the other thing, too, is just, I don't know, it's one of those situations where I know... Obviously, I was in the news, so I know that we have a responsibility to warn people and get them ready and and all that. Is that how is that real, though, or is it more of we have a responsibility to drum up the hype so that people watch? Well, no, because I mean, I think that the the news down there was responding in proportion to how this thing looked on the radar. Right. So it was it's driven by the meteorologists who are looking at this thing as it's offshore, declaring it's a hurricane, downgrading it to a tropical storm or whatever. So I don't think it's trumped up. I think there's real service there in telling people to be prepared. But in the end, yeah, it's it's a hard call because then when not a lot happens and mostly it's just some rain, yeah. Like, especially as it was in San Diego, I, I I don't know. It becomes a problem. I feel for the news people because then it becomes like a credibility problem. Yeah. Everyone goes, well, you guys scared us into doing all this stuff when it was yeah, really Yeah, people nothing. at Costco were, were raiding 
Like, there were no more cooked chickens on Saturday at Costco in San Diego. Like, everybody bought the chickens out. Well, it's everybody Southwest was, Airlines. Yeah. Like, we yep. were flying Alaska, thankfully. We booked an earlier flight home to get out of there before this thing supposedly was going to hit it with the outer bands. I just like saying outer bands because yeah. that's more of a We South were on a tornado thing. watch yeah. or tornado warning. Yeah, that too. You know, you know the difference between tornado warning and tornado watch? There's a difference? Yeah. What? Well, um, I was told when you hear watch uh-huh. versus warning. Okay. Watch means it, the, the, you can, uh, the metaphor for it is like a taco. Okay. Tornado watch means that all the fixings for the taco are in the kitchen. Okay. Like you got lettuce, you got ground beef, you have a shell over there. Yeah. That, that's a watch. Okay. But you have a tornado warning when the taco itself is in front of you. I see. So it, it felt more like a lot of warning. Yeah. A lot of watch, I mean, and very little warning. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I mean? Well, like we were watching the Weather Channel, which we don't normally watch, but we yeah. kind of needed to stay in tune with what was happening. And But it wasn't matching what we were seeing out the it was window. Not, it was not matching. Yeah, it was nothing outside. And there were a lot of phrases like potentially likely, you know? Yeah, there may be likely. potential flash flooding. Well, is there or isn't there? Well, they were just kind of covering themselves in the event that there was. And then here came Southern California. Here came L.A. Yeah. Because it's not enough that people in San Diego could say, hey, we finally matter. We we lost the Chargers, <laughs> but we matter. We're going to be the spot where this tornado touches down yeah, or the, be all this hurricane touches down. talks about for like 48 hours yeah. at least. The right? hurricane's going to make land in San Diego. Uh-huh. And L.A. went, oh, yeah, hold my beer. Here comes an earthquake, five point one magnitude. Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara, one up. I know. I know. So, poor San Diego, right? But yeah, I mean, I was so glad we flew Alaska because Southwest just up and canceled all of their flights, like all of them, out of San Diego. Made the out. airport TSA very nice. Yeah, it did. Thanks for that, Southwest. Yeah. Also glad we weren't traveling Southwest. Yeah. That, you know, yeah, but I but I said. yeah, but I ran into a guy. I ran into a guy who was traveling Southwest. Uh-huh. And he was in the terminal. Yeah. And I looked at the board, and it had all the Southwest flights canceled, and all the Alaska flights were on time. I know. And I and you and I was and I said to him, I said, it looks pretty good. And he said, I was on a Southwest flight to Vegas this morning. He said they canceled it. I jumped on an Alaska flight. He said, I don't. They're flying to the same place. I know. And they it's one's canceled, so one's not. Yeah. How can two different airlines look at the same forecast and make entirely different decisions? You know. Well. So, I don't know. All right. So, you know, the girls and I, obviously, we uh, prepared some things for your birthday. And the girls are excited to celebrate with you tonight. Yeah. The listeners of the show don't know is that my mother has the same birthday. Yeah. As my wife. Different years. Different years. (laughs) But same date, August the 21st. Yeah. Is, uh, it's a big day. Exactly 30 years apart, your mother and I were Yeah. And I, uh. I called my mom and I wished her a happy birthday and she said, okay, did Anna get this? I sent her this and I said, yeah, this is, it's kind of weird for me. Is it weird or is it convenient? I can't decide which. To have your mother and your wife have the same birthday, different years, same birthday. <laughs> um, I would think it would be inconvenient because that's two, you know, different key people in your life that you're having to prepare something special for. And it, it creates a problem like on social media, like you know how you do the, hey, happy birthday to my wife? Yeah, you don't have to. Or happy birthday to my mother post? Yeah, yeah. 
I did one for you. I haven't done one for my mom yet, yeah. and I know that's going to matter to my mom. Will it though? So I think so, on, but on Facebook only. Okay. You got to know who, like, where your person is most likely hanging out. Yeah. My mom's more on Facebook. Yeah. You're more of an Instagrammer. Yeah. You're on the gram. Mm-hmm. So I got to know, you know, where you are and all that noise. I don't know. So. I just like being birthday buddies with your mom. I think it's cute. There you go. You and Usain Bolt, too. Yeah. Usain Bolt, Usain same birthday. Usain Bolt and uh, the inventor of Google. How about that? Sergey Brin. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, hey, I got a question. Speaking of Instagram, Damian Lillard unfollowed the Blazers. How passive-aggressive on, on, in, on Instagram? Only on Instagram? I, I think that's where it matters for him. He's on the gram. He unfollowed the Blazers, and people who track such things noticed it that's immediately. so bad. Is it bad? It's so bad. It's passive-aggressive, isn't it? It just is so telling. It says so much. Like what? Without saying so much. I mean, it leads you to believe that he's not happy with the organization and that this is going to be an interesting season. Shouldn't he say that out loud instead of like he doesn't have to. unfollow? Like, come on. He doesn't have to. Isn't an unfollow kind of weak? Isn't that kind of weak? In today's world, that speaks louder, I think, to be honest. I think it's weak. Because he's saying, this is not a brand that I want to associate with, I guess. Yeah, but you're under contract. You took their money. You (laughs) will continue to take their money. And you're going to go, hey, I'm not going to follow you. He has a choice. Like, I would assume it's not in his contract that he has to follow his team on Instagram. Do you think people will turn on him? I don't know. We had this discussion over the weekend, and I don't think they will. You think I'm naive. But I think that reasonable people will look at his situation and you say yes i know he's under contract but what does a contract even mean these days when it comes to professional sports and they will say the blazers did not put together a team around him they did not assemble the assets around him that made that even a playoff deep into the playoffs viable team so i think people will look at that and go you know what i don't blame the guy he's been loyal almost to a fault to the Blazers, and if he wants to go, he should be able to be let go. If he wants six, to go yeah, to Miami, Six or Miami. nine months ago when he agrees to this contract extension that makes him a Blazer through 2026, 2027, and will pay him 50 to $60 million a year, he could have at that point gone, hey, you know what, I don't want to be here, I'll just go be an unrestricted free agent, and instead he signed the deal. He did, but... Don't you think maybe he signed the deal um, assuming that the Blazers were really going to make an effort to build around him? I, I, hasn't he been here long enough? I think I think the truth is he signed the deal knowing that it was more money that he could get anywhere else because the Blazers were the team that drafted him, and that's how the collective bargaining agreement works. Okay. And he knew down the road he could either leverage his way out or if the Blazers somehow changed who they are in their DNA and got him help, then he would be happy here. So I think he took the short-term security of the contract and knowing that he probably was going to ask out anyway, knowing that he probably was going to face his, force his way well, out anyway. And I guess if I were in his position, would I have done any different? If somebody's throwing money... No. I would have. If somebody's throwing money at me, then I'm going to take it. I would have done it differently. What would you have done? I would have been more explicit about what I wanted... And when I didn't see the writing on the wall, I probably wouldn't have signed that contract. I would have wanted the control of where I ended up. 
And as an unrestricted free agent, you could do that. But he gave away that right when he signed the deal. Mm-hmm. And look, a contract, I get it. It's today's professional world, especially the NBA. All you have to do is hold a camp and tell the campers, I don't want to work with my GM. He's a liar, like James Harden did in China. And you can make it an untenable situation, and then the team is forced to trade you. I get it. You could you could act that way. I just have less respect for it. Yeah. I just I just I don't like it. I think if you agree to a contract, at least in principle, you agreed that it has to mean something. It has to on a fundamental level. There has to have been a commitment there. There was a financial commitment made. Yeah. Like, you know, honor your deal. Yeah, but if he's looking at the next couple of years and he sees zero hope that the Blazers are going to go anywhere with this team, uh, with him on board, then I don't blame him for wanting out. I just don't. I, it's I okay to want out, but, but the, I think the way you do it matters. I think he should go public. I think he should give an interview, and I think he should say, hey, look, I was very clear with the team. I asked them to do more, to build around me. They had an opportunity to do it. Here were a couple of deals that were out there for them that they didn't execute. I'm, I was really frustrated. I remain frustrated by it. I will honor my contract and show up and play as hard as I can this season because that's what they're paying me for. But I have asked the team to trade me. And, oh, by the way, here's my list of teams I'll go to. And don't make your list one team. Like, a list of one team is not a list. Like, you know, you're under contract and you said, okay, I'll go to all these places. Miami. <laughs> that's not a list. Like, you've left the team in a horrible predicament, and you, by the way, because you signed the contract, are one of their greatest assets. You know? So, you know, you've put yourself, you've painted yourself into that corner if you're Damian Lillard. So I don't, I do, like, on one hand, I have more empathy for the fans who are caught in this because the fans, let's face it, Blazers organization, if you do buy the idea, and I do, that they haven't done enough, uh, haven't built around him, Guess who's suffered more than Damian Lillard? Blazer fans. Because guess what? They can't ask for a trade. They don't get out. And if the Blazers trade him for pennies on the dollar, the fans are still here for it. Mm-hmm. Like, I have way more empathy for Blazer fans than I do for a star athlete who will make more money than all but Kevin Durant and Steph Curry at the end of his deal. Yeah. That's crazy to me to think that that, like, your your best public statement in the wake of that is... I'm just going to unfollow on Instagram. No, come out and speak. Like, come out and speak up. Speak your mind. Tell people where you stand. Like, you know, I think there is a lot relatable in what he could say. What I don't like is him acting like he's like an eighth grader on Instagram unfollowing his ex-girlfriend. It's ridiculous. I want phone calls on this. Who's right? And maybe it's not me, maybe I, I it's not Anna. Him. I actually don't blame 503-417-7575 is the number. Weigh in. Take your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Damian Lillard, one foot in, one foot out. Uh, where do you stand as a fan? I think the fans are in a worse spot than uh, than any player who's getting paid. Uh, we'll take your calls on that. Uh, I want to bring something up, too, Anna, you know, We've seen some cases where Iowa State had a uh, had a big investigation into illegal sports wagering by Iowa State and Iowa athletes, state of Iowa, looking into all this stuff, and of course charging some athletes in that. And in the state of Oregon, uh, we know we do not have the opportunity to bet on college games. 
It is uh, not legal yet. The state legislatures have legislators have looked at that, but uh, so far the native, the lobbyists working on behalf of the tribal casinos, the Native American casinos, have been successful in blocking that. I think this they're going to hold this up. The opponents of legalizing wagering on college sporting events in the state of Oregon are going to hold up the cases in Iowa as evidence of why it's not good to allow legal sports wagering. Only the tribal sports books should be allowed to have legal wagering on college sporting events. Hmm. That's going to be held up. I don't know if there's truth to it or not. I mean, on one hand, you don't have the ability to use the DraftKings app to bet on an Oregon or Oregon State game. Right. So you're going to have college students at Oregon and Oregon State. They'll have to go offshore if they want to bet on college games. Okay. You know, or if they have to drive to one of the tribal casinos, Native American casinos, okay. and, and go to the sports book. Okay. Um, but you can't do it on DraftKings. But you can bet on an NFL game. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be held up as a reason like, hey, this is good. We shouldn't allow this. But I, I actually think... There's probably wagering going on anyway. It's just offshore. Yeah. When you say offshore, that means like people can still do it just depending on what app they're downloading yes. or how creatively they're getting around the whole process, right? Yeah, because the, there are some apps that will take bets on college sporting events, but they're located outside of the United States. Right. And you have to use cryptocurrency or... Yeah. Some third party, like most banks won't allow you to fund those accounts. You have to go through like, you know, two different forms of payment and involve, uh, you know, somebody named Vinny who's living in Croatia. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But I I just think they're going to hold that up and go, see, this is why you don't allow kids to gamble on college games in your state. State of Oregon is doing it right. We know that kids are doing it anyway. If they're motivated enough, they're gonna figure out a way. Not only that, I I've talked to college kids, yeah, who go to school at Oregon and Oregon State, right, who are under twenty one and betting and wagering, yeah, yeah, and they're using apps right. that allow them to go offshore, right, and their parents probably don't know it. I pretty assume sure that too. Pretty sure. Where there's a will, there's a way when it comes to yeah. college students. I've had know? college freshmen yeah. tell me, yeah. hey, they'll go, hey, who do you like in such and such game? Yeah. And I'll be like, why are you asking? And they're like, well, I need this outcome in my four-team parlay. And I'm like, <laughs> you're a freshman. Uh-huh. You're how not, are you doing this? Yeah, how are you doing this? Yeah. And they're doing it. Right. They know somebody who knows somebody hmm. who's got an offshore account. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. John in Newburgh wants to talk about Damian Lillard. John, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, John. Um, say, I, I've been a listener since day one, and I'm, I, you know, I agree with a lot of your stuff, I mean, probably 90%, but uh, your take on Dame here um, a few minutes ago, I mean, I'm sorry, I just got really upset. I, I disagree with you on, a, on your take here. Uh, you have a, it's a really good man. This, this Dame Lillard, when you compare him to so many professional athletes, uh, who he is, you know, his decisions, how he's, his loyalty, it's, loyalty is one thing. I, I, the man is a really good man. And it felt, just felt to me like you're really tearing him down. And uh, your, your tone of voice, if you'd listen to this again, I mean, you were really like. Yeah, it bothers me. It, it bothers me. 
it, it bothers me. me. To listen to you. Okay. Yeah. It bothered me to listen to you, and I'm. I just don't want. I, that's what I want to say. This is a really good man, and please don't you know expect perfection from him. Right. He's been a great man in so many ways. And well, um, he wants know, out. He wants out. He knew he wanted out, and he signed a contract despite knowing that he wanted out. And now he wants to the Blazers to honor his contract, but he doesn't want to play here. That bothers well, me. You know, well, like like Anna said, you know, he took the money he, at the time. And what has happened since then? Blazers haven't done a darn thing to really uh, improve the situation for this guy. He's getting older, you know, and he's he's been such a loyal person. He is just a good person. And it felt to me like you're tearing his character down. And I'm sorry, I just disagree yeah. with that. Well, That's I, I, I and it's okay. And it's okay. We don't have to agree on 100% of things. Anna and I obviously disagree on this. But I believe that when you sign a contract and when you're a player, and by NBA standards, he's been incredibly loyal, I believe that you honor the contract. And I it, it, it would bother me if any player had done this. Now, I, I do look over at James Harden and the way that he is trying to leverage and extort his way out of his current predicament by calling his general manager a liar and making him going to training camp untenable. But I also believe both things can be true. Like, I can believe that the Blazers organization desperately needs to be sold. I am on record with that. Jody Allen needs to let go of the team. I don't think any of this would have happened with Phil Knight in charge if Phil Knight owned the team. Simultaneously, I'm looking over at Lillard and I'm going, okay, if you want out, say it. Do an interview and just go, here's what happened. I want out. But unfollowing the team on Instagram while you're holding your summer elite basketball camp in Phoenix instead of Portland is really passive-aggressive. I prefer maybe to deal more eye-to-eye on the subject. Let's take another call. Mark in Portland. Mark, welcome to the conversation. Hey, how you doing? I uh, I really don't. I don't understand why people are, are – there's. it's like – Damon Lillard, really, to me, great offensive player, John, but he's he, he can't dominate the game defensively. And so I, you, they never got past the Western Conference Final. He went to one Western Conference Final. Clyde Drexler took a couple of teams to, to the final. So it, we need to get as much value out of him as we can right now because if we keep him for another season, it's just going to be he's older. And that you can see that we, we – we, it looks like they overvalue Dame to the rest of the, the league. I mean, nobody's really jumping out trying to go after him, um, like you would think if he was. If, you know, I'm just saying. I'd like to. Yeah. I'd like to see him go to a team where he's with Jimmy Butler and can and can show us like yeah. Clyde Drexler did, sure. like Rasheed Wallace did. Let's see sure. it, and it's time right, we to do it. We got a break here. I would like to see him on another team too, but I don't want the Blazers to get pennies on the dollar for it. Leave it here. I think one of the best parts of this show is the conversation between you and I. We don't have to agree. We had a couple callers on today's show say, I don't agree with what you said today. And I, I, I agree with you 90% of the time, but not today. Two callers. Two different callers said that. Anna. I think it's good. It's healthy. I, I don't mind it. I don't mind them being wrong. I don't mind being wrong 10% of the time. <laughs> well, we need... There are fewer and fewer places uh, in this world where we can civilly disagree. Yeah, and here's the Do other thing. Do you agree thing. with me on that? I, I, I agree. 90% of that. 
Um, <laughs> no, I I actually think it's sports we're talking about. Sure. We're talking about a roster move. We're talking about Instagram. We're talking about gamblers in sports. We're talking about, you know, did the, co- the coach going for it on fourth down at his own 29-yard line, was that... Was that bold or dumb? Yeah. You know, we're not talking about somebody's health care plan. We're not talking about national security. We're not talking about war or poverty. We're talking about the toy factory and the diversion going on in the room. And so, yeah, if we, hell, if we agree 50% of the time, I'm okay with that, too. I'm okay with it. I think it makes the world interesting. And I don't like living in a world where people, like, I hear this in with people's political views a lot. A lot. Where it's almost like if you don't agree with 10% of what, you know, like you have a 10% disagreement ratio. Okay. With your person sitting next to you. Yeah. We can't talk about it. Yeah, no, that's not healthy. I was in the airport with you. Yeah. Somebody two seats away was uh-huh. talking loudly about politics. Okay. And I went, oh, here we go. <laughs> and he was talking about former President Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Okay. President Trump, he was talking about that. And and I it didn't even matter to me what the opinion was. Yeah. Because I thought somebody in the vicinity is going to have an issue with this. <laughs> it it Whether I agree or disagree doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like, Okay, and so that's okay. In politics, people, you know, they don't try to find common ground. But with our sports things, yes, it's okay if we don't agree on, you know, whether Washington hiring Jen Cohen was a good idea, or or USC hiring her way is a better idea. You know, it's okay. And- I don't know. People get heated about sports, though. I mean, you've seen it. Because sports almost becomes their religion. And so if you are disagreeing with them, then I've seen, I've witnessed those conversations where it gets as heated as if we were discussing religion. It's it like, shouldn't, oh, though. Boy. It shouldn't. It Let's should be passionate. Take a breath. It should be passionate, but not like, like I, I'm a Niner fan, okay? A 49er fan. I saw a video over the weekend of Niners fans throwing fists inside a preseason NFL game. <laughs> throwing fists in the stadium. Okay. Judah, did you see the video of the Niners fans? Like, fisticuffs. I didn't see that particular video, but I'm not surprised. It was preseason. <laughs> not, not because they're Niners fans. I'm sorry. I should clarify. Yeah. Just because they're fans in general. Seahawks yeah. fans could do it, too. If Niners fans, maybe it's, you know, it's an indictment of 49er fans. I don't know. Fisticuffs. It was violent. Jeez. And I went, gosh, this is stupid. Because <laughs> I want to be able to go like, hey, it's a good family event. You can yeah. take your kids to an NFL game. Right. And you can't say that after seeing a video like that. Hmm. It looks like, you know, it's the prison yard. Not great. All right. You got five great story ideas? I have five stories. You I don't know the, how great the they are. The best stories on planet I'm not, Earth. I'm not going to overpromise and underdeliver here. That's right. not what I'm about. On her birthday, <laughs> Anna has put together the five biggest stories in sports, and here they go. The five at five. The number one story is Anna sees it. Oh, here it is. Deion Sanders' manager and Colorado have reached a deal 
for an Amazon film series being shot on campus. The least surprising story of the day. This documentary deal includes dramatic license for the producer, Hmm. exposure for the university, but no actual cash compensation for Colorado University. How about that? Colorado's getting no money in this deal. He's, they're getting no money, and they're justifying it with, well, look at everybody who's talking about us, and look at our sold-out games, and we matter now. So it's okay. We don't need to be paid, which is interesting because in a similar kind of thing, um, Michigan Michigan got paid like two, two and, and a half million yeah, bucks. Mil. So, you know. It'll. This is going to be terribly fascinating to watch because if the season goes as we all think it's going to go... Uh, Two or three wins. There are going to be some moments. And, it, it's, it, and I'm interested in, you know, as somebody who's actually made documentaries, I'm interested in the details here of the contract. Yeah. Which basically gives Colorado some input on the editing but not final control help us out with that part of it because i think most people don't understand but when you see michael jordan's the last dance documentary because he is participating in it yeah it becomes a very pro michael jordan production absolutely do you think that this suggests this will be a very pro coach prime pro colorado production uh no, what I'm saying is I don't know if Colorado knows what it's getting itself into because Coach Prime's people are going to make Coach Prime and probably his kid look great at all costs. Mm. Like their job is to market Coach Prime and his son, Shakur Sanders, right? Shadur, yeah. Shadur. And so it, it, like the contract says Colorado has the right to request removal of any footage. But it doesn't guarantee it. But it doesn't guarantee it. So that it's signing away a lot and not getting compensated for it. I had a college football head coach tell me after Deion Sanders was hired by Colorado that he believed Colorado got steamrolled by the whole coach prime, you know, I'll the just machine? for lack of a better word, I'll call it a hurricane. Because once the once the storm and once the pressure, the barometric pressure rises in the room and the anticipation and the media coverage and the boosters calling the AD and the boosters calling the trustees and, you know, sponsors and donors saying we'll buy this and we'll do that. Like, you aren't really making a decision at that point as much as you are just ushering him into the job. And then once he's in the job and he's saying, I won't work with your media relations department, I have my own team. And I won't work with your marketing people. I have my own team. You don't really have a choice. You're you're just taking him on. Well, I'll go further. Think about what this does for the athletic department and the constraints that will place upon them. Like it turns them into like a f- part-time production company. And we all know like how busy athletic departments are already, how stretched thin they are to accomplish what they need to accomplish. Uh, this is this is going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh, so do you think it goes well? No, I don't. <laughs> for Colorado, no. Prime, for sure, whatever. You know, he's going to make money off the documentary. Yeah. Prime, like Amazon's, Amazon Prime, is yeah. going to pay him. He'll get paid. People are going to watch it. Yeah. He gets what he needs out of it. His right. son potentially gets what he needs out of it, which is exposure but or whatever. Colorado gets used. Colorado gets used. It's a format. Well... 
Maybe somebody should tell Rick George, the Colorado AD, be, beware. Well, I guess he's already signed the deal. It's already a done deal. Um, and these documentaries, too, it even if they go 2-10, and 3-9, and nine, and it's ugly, I, I have to think kind of the blame will go on, hey, we don't have the resources. This is a place that never won. It, we are winners, and we came in here, and we are struggling in their ecosystem to make good out of this look we've won everywhere we went that's going to be the narrative isn't and it? they have the editorial control to spin it that way precisely keep an eye on it number two uh we were just talking about sports gambling college gambling iowa state is uh losing last season's leading rusher Jarrell brock voluntarily has left the team amid the gambling allegations so he's added to the list now of iowa state athletes under investigation for tampering with records earlier this month chose to leave the team today he's been accused of placing who 1300 bets not just a few wagered more than twelve thousand dollars he made some mistakes wow wow twelve thousand dollars yeah um, among those wagers, he placed bets on four Iowa State football games, two of which he was active for. <sighs> this, none of this is good. No. None of this is good. It's, but, but it's predictable, is it not? Is it, it not predictable? Is. Anytime you introduce new technology, new ability to, you know, I, I actually think college players have been wagering on games for a while, but now the state gaming commissions finally have like the records to show it because they can subpoena and they have access to all of the records and you know athletes even though they say that you know they're being careful and you know may, one guy was using his mom's ID oh dear it's not very hard for the gaming commission to say all right we have investigators let's find out who's wagering you know, he became the second player in this investigation to leave the team. Defensive lineman Isaiah Lee did so um, August fourteenth. That's too bad. But he only wagered about nine hundred dollars, not twelve thousand. Yeah, when you say twelve thousand, and you have how many bets? Thirteen hundred bets. Yeah. So he was, you know, presumably making less than a hundred dollars per wager. It may not mean that he was out of pocket twelve thousand dollars. Like you know, maybe he was winning forty percent of the time. So, you know, maybe he's down $3,000. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, I can't imagine, like, fumbling around with that much money when I was in college. There's no way. There's no way. But what I'm saying is, like, you know, maybe he's betting 100 bucks. Yes. And he's winning. But still. Now he's got 200 Yeah. Now he bets the 200 Say so he loses 100 He bets another 100 Now he's bet $400, <laughs> but he's really only used the same hundred dollars he started with you know what i'm saying i see what you're saying okay i'm not being an enabler here i'm just pointing out that when i see 13 or twelve thousand dollars i say 1300 bets a lot of the same money was going back into the bets i see 1300 dollar bets and i say that kid's got a problem (laughs) sorry (laughs) so there you go number three story um did you guys all see that video of dodger stadium looking like it was flooded because of Tropical Storm Hillary. That went viral yesterday. Is it a fake? It's not fake, um, but it's kind of like what you said. It's just that the parking lot's wet and not flooded. In fact, the Dodgers social media team is 
like disputing it because this got passed around so yeah. much. Like, hey, it, everything's fine here. There's no problem. Everything dried out. It's beautiful this morning. But uh, there Mud. was a lot of that going around yesterday and the day before, just kind of fake fake hurricane and uh, tropical storm videos. There were videos that were that were from like 2011. Yeah. That got put back out like they were current. I know. There were so other um, filters that were put on videos yeah. to make it look like it was underwater. And people were fooled by this. You know? Yeah. I, it's... I, I don't like it. I don't like that you can't trust what you can see. And, you know, some of it's AI, some of it's not. Some of it's just people putting videos back out trying to... Like, who has that time? Let me mislead somebody by putting a video out from 2011. I know. You just have to be careful when you see something like that. Because one of the videos was somebody, you know, had a... There was a shark in the water. Okay. Like, in the on the road. Yeah. It was from 2011. Okay. Okay, Photoshop 2011. Senator T- Ted Cruz thought it was real oh. and went, wow. Oh, gosh. And he got fooled, okay. well, you know. But yeah. if he's getting fooled, a lot of people are getting fooled. Well, Maybe. we just all need to be cautious. Everybody chill out. <laughs> just f- if, if you see a video and it gives you that feeling like, uh, huh, really? Just pay attention I thought to that, that when I saw Dodger Stadium because I thought it just looked to me like the asphalt was wet. Yeah, yeah. Didn't look like it was flooded. Yeah. And it, But everybody, I heard from multiple people today, said, did you see Dodger Stadium? And I was like, eh, I'm not quite sure. So I'm glad to hear that it wasn't flooded because my instincts were right on that. Do you want to talk about Jen Cohen for our next one or did you already talk about no, that? No, I talked enough? about her with, you know, let it, let's let's hear it. Okay. What do you got? Number well, four. Uh, you wrote about it today. USC hires uh, athletic director Jen Cohen away from Washington. Uh, she replaces Mike Bone, who resigned last May after three and a half years uh, she is one of only a handful of women athletic directors in the country, and she will become USC's first female athletic director. What I wondered with Bone and kind of the comments uh, that he made, yeah, um, you know, there were reports that he made inappropriate comments to female staffers at USC. Um, is this an answer to that? I think it is. I think... I mean, not to take anything from Jim Cohen, who's awesome in her own right. Yeah, I think um, I couldn't help but think that way, that USC's got a woman president and a woman who is an athletic director now. Yeah. And they had a problem because they had an AD and Mike Bone who, you know, perpetuated allegedly this hostile work environment. People didn't like the way he talked to women, things that he said. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm even going back to Lincoln Riley's introductory news conference and the fact that he trotted out the 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 the, the song girls and the dance team mm-hmm. and the band and you know it was kind of like you know all hail and I just I think yes I think this you know it's a statement move but I also think she's a hell of an administrator she's really good at her job yeah like I think this makes USC kind of scary. Um, here's Jennifer Cohen at her introductory news conference today. People ask me all the time, why do you do what you do? You know, AD jobs are crazy now, as Dr. Fulton mentioned, the landscape's changing. And my answer is pretty simple. I love to compete. I love to be part of a community. And I absolutely love developing people. Coaches, student athletes, staff, ourselves. That's kind of my why. And that is what drew me to USC. USC is all about developing people to be their best selves. There's probably nowhere else in America 
that we can develop into our best selves more so than USC. She called me two summers ago. She was still the AD at Washington. She said she was a little frustrated with feeling detached from the student athletes during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about the NCAA and I got the impression that she might someday have a uh, her eye on being the president or the head of the NCAA. Like she said, you know, if I could I could make a if I can make a real difference with athletes, it's something that I would be into, like, you know. And I so I always kind of had her pegged to be like head of the NCAA. Mhm. Going to USC is a stepping stone towards something like that. Yeah. But I also think she's now at a private school instead of a public school. Mm -hmm. She's at one of the most iconic brands in sports, USC. She's a good administrator. This is a good hire by USC. But it works for her, too. She did hire Jimmy Lake, though, right? She hired Jimmy Lake. She hired Mike Hopkins. But Jimmy Lake, I, I give her a pass on Jimmy Lake. Because Chris Peterson said, this is who you should hire. Now, he was leaving. You have to hire who Chris Peterson says if you're the AD. Mm -hmm. And you did what Oregon did in the wake of Chip Kelly. You, you promote Mark Helfrich. You promote Jimmy Lake. And we, as we know, sometimes the lieutenant, who's a good lieutenant, does not make a good CEO, doesn't make a good general. So I, put, I give her a pass on those. Because what does she do after that mistake of Jimmy Lake? She pivots right into Kalen DeBoer. It's a brilliant hire. Mm -hmm. So Mike Hopkins, a basketball coach, too, was a hire on her watch. It's not a great hire. But I uh, I give her a pass on those, two. I think, by and large, 80s that hit 750 or better are really good hires. And so I, you know, I think her batting average is pretty good at Washington. Number five, as you see it. Uh, I'm going to let you choose. Do you want to talk about Spain's soccer president kissing a player at the uh, Women's World Cup ceremony? Intrigued, but let me hear number two. Uh, do you want to talk about why Dan Orlovsky thinks the Jets have a target on their back as the most hunted team this season? Uh, or do you want to talk about Jason Tatum getting a tattoo of his signature shoe? Judah, do you have a vote on those three? Yeah, tell me about the uh, the Spain president, if you would. Yeah, let's see. I, I agree. That's my most intrigued by that. Do it. This is so weird. Okay, so Spain wins its first Women's World Cup championship yesterday. And the head of Spain's football federation, Luis Rubiales, in his jubilation, inexplicably kisses forward Jenny Hermoso on the lips. What? During the team's award ceremony. On the lips. He's one of the few people in the podium as the Spanish players got their gold medals hmm. after their 1-0 win over England in Sydney. When Jenny Hermoso approaches Rubiales to get her medal, he excitedly hugs and plants one on her lips. Afterward, in the locker celebration during the live streaming, she appears to acknowledge the kiss and basically said, uh, I, I didn't really care for that. I didn't like that. He has since uh, apologized for doing that. I, I don't know how that happens. Uh, was it? Did he go for the cheek and she turned her no, head? No, 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 uh-uh, no. He, like, like, grabbed her by the face and planted one on her lips. But he's saying... There is something that I regret, and it is everything that has happened between me 
and a player. Luis Rubiales. With whom I have a magnificent relationship, just as I do with other players. Are they not on kissing terms? This is an incident in which I have surely been wrong. I have to admit it, because at a moment of maximum emotion, and without any bad uh, intention, what happened was spontaneous. <laughs> oh, man. Let's, let's listen to the emotion of the moment. Frank was there upfield. Hemp on the right. Looking across. Headed up. Second ball. Blocked. Cleared in one motion by Spain. From the corner. Driven up. Coy grabs it. It is. Spain wins the World Cup. And the Spanish boss man kissed. One of the star players afterwards. Uh, I am looking at it now. He literally plants his hands on both sides of her head. It's kind of like I'm giving you no choice but to kiss me. The embrace. And then he hugged her. I don't buy that it was just kind of in the moment and he lost it. I think he wanted to kiss her. I don't, I, I don't think that that's appropriate at all. You? Yeah, no, not appropriate. Do you think it arises? Some people are saying it's sex assault. Oh. I'm seeing that now. Well. I don't think it's sex assault, the way that that went down. I I think it depends on how she feels about it, to be honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't make that call for her. I wasn't the person in that position. Yeah, but do you think it rises? Do you think he should face criminal charges or apology, allow her to slug him in the... Kiss her. You know? Like, I think if I were the judge, I would say, you know what? You have to stand there and she can accidentally punch you in the face. Or she can just, like, Megan Rapino a soccer ball at him, you know? Like she once did at John Strong. <laughs> yeah. Well, there know. it is. There it is. That's the five at five. Well done. Yeah? Really? Well done. It ended with a kiss. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, coming up, John Wilmer. Kiss. Bay Area News Group superstar will be joining us to talk about... Uh, the Jen Cohen hire by USC, plus what do Oregon State, Washington State do? And Washington State's president, Kirk Schultz, is speaking out. He's blaming Fox for the Apple deal. Says Fox didn't want Apple in the space. That this had nothing to do with the Pac-12 and everything to do with TV. A turf war. Leave it here. Watching the video during the commercial break of the... Uh, the uh, president of Spanish football kissing the World Cup star. I don't think he gave her much of a choice. Uh, I also think he's, if he hasn't already, he hasn't resigned already, he's, uh, he's headed there. John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, Bay Area News Group superstar. You can read him at Pac12Hotline.com. You can catch him on the Conzano and Wilner podcast. He's joining us now. How you doing, man? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. I uh, am eager to find out uh, what you think of USC's hire of Jennifer Cohen. Let's start with that, and we'll get into some of this other Washington State, Oregon State stuff at the end. But, um, you know, what do you, what do you make of that? How, how good do you see this as a hire? Why is she the right hire? Man, it is just nonstop with the news, right? Um, I guess it's a little surprising that the Washington AD would go to USC, but, you know, at the same time, Washington and USC are about to go into the Big Ten. And, you, you know, it's just uh, like all all the rules of, of physics that have governed college sports uh, for decades seem to be just kind of 
vanishing. You know, I think it's a good hire for USC if USC is willing to let Cohen do her thing and, you know, run the department like she would run Washington's department or any other department. The problem is USC is is USC, and the USC-ness can overwhelm, uh, you know, newcomers and, you know, take things in a direction that maybe you don't want to go if you're the athletic director. So we'll see. If they let her do her thing, I think she'll do great. If they don't, then it's going to be a struggle for her. Does this, uh, you know... It, Lincoln Riley leaves USC. I heard Washington fans a little nervous about Kalen DeBoer ending up at USC. Uh, is that too direct a correlation, or do you need do you need a little more sample size, or, or is that just normal fretting that happens when something like this goes down? That sounds to me like normal fretting, uh, for sure. I mean, who knows if Lincoln Riley's going to leave? Maybe he'll leave at the end of this year. Maybe he's not going to leave for five years. Uh, I don't know, but I think that that. I mean, certainly. If he left, would DeBoer have to be considered a potential candidate at USC? Sure. But, I mean, that's just – Washington fans need to be worried about Boise State, you know, and keeping Michael Penix Jr. healthy this season and not worrying about what may happen at DeBoer down the road. John Wilner with us. What does Washington do? Who do they hire? Do they promote from within? Do they find somebody else? What's their move here? I don't know, but uh, – I'm not sure about promoting from within, but the thing is, Washington, that is now a Big Ten athletic director job. They're going to be able to attract, uh, you know, a pool of candidates that may not have been uh, interested in going to Washington as a member of the Pac-12, right? Because now you're on the biggest stage in the Big Ten and you've got uh, unlimited resources, uh, you know, down the road. So I think they're going to have a great pool of candidates. I think that they probably ought to, you know, Maybe look around in the in the region. Scott Barnes at Oregon State, former Washington Athletic Department employee. Pat Shum would be an interesting uh, decision for them. The Washington State AD. But you know they're they're going to have a lot of a lot of choices. If DeBoer is interested is involved, which I assume he would be, you know Terry Toomey is the AD at Fresno State. He hired DeBoer in what 2020. Uh, to be the football coach there. So if they have a good relationship, you may think that, you know, maybe Toomey's going to be a candidate in Seattle. The uh, the hire of the first woman to be athletic director at USC comes in the wake of Mike Bowen resigning after being accused of, you know, perpetuating a hostile work environment and sexually harassing people. Is that part of the hire of Jen Cohen in USC's eyes, or did they just hire the best AD they could find? Well, I think it probably played a role in Carol Fultz thinking, the president there. It would have to. A lot of times in these hires, whether it's a coach or an AD or, say, a Pac-12 commissioner, you kind of the pendulum swings in the other direction from what you've had. Now, it so happens that Cohen is very accomplished and certainly uh, – very qualified for the job. Did it uh, help Fult, or did it make Fult feel more comfortable given what has happened to hire uh, a woman? Maybe it did, but you know she's she can certainly stand on her own uh, resume regardless of what the you know the circumstances were before she got there. John Wilner with us, mm-hmm. Bay Area News Group. You had a piece today. You you wrote about uh, Washington State President Kirk Schultz 
He is suggesting that Fox's strategy was to block Apple and that that helped fuel the Big Ten's raid of Washington and Oregon. What is he talking about? Well, you know, he did an interview, and it was an internal WSU interview and posted on their YouTube channel. He, he thinks that Fox may have wanted to keep Apple out of college football. And so right before the Pac-12 was ready to sign that deal, Fox decided, you know what, let's go get Oregon and Washington, bring them into the Big Ten, kill the kill the Apple deal. It makes some sense. Don't you? What do you think? I mean, just on the surface of it, it there's there's some logic behind it. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, he kind of said, hey, you know, am I putting a tinfoil hat on here? It's a conspiracy theory. I don't think it's that crazy to think that one business went, hey, we would like to keep you out of this space. Now, Apple's reaction to it, to it may be just to buy ESPN and buy their way back into the space, but yep. it's it still forces them to, you know, to have to make a move. And if I'm Fox, it's a, it's a smart move. Do you sense there may be some potential litigation involved in this or is he just spitballing no well i don't know that litigation would be forthcoming because he, as he also said it makes smart business sense right uh, you know i think that eventually the sec and the big 10 need to be on the lookout for antitrust I- issues because ev- clearly they have the clout to destroy conferences and to change the whole nature of college football but i'm not sure that you know, Fox orchestrating this move to get Oregon and Washington necessarily will lead to litigation. And, and who would be filing that litigation, right? I mean, Stanford and Cal could very well be on the brink of an invite to the ACC, which would leave, I mean, maybe Oregon State and Washington State uh, would be left and they would file some kind of suit against Fox. I don't know. It seems to me like in this particular situation, that might be a stretch, but certainly in the broader uh, canvas of realignment and the direction of college football, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to need to kind of tread carefully. I want to ask you, you know, Oregon State and Washington State are on hold right now, waiting for Stanford to figure out what it's going to do. The The Cougars and Beavers may have to decide on their own to move forward without Stanford at some point. Maybe Stanford goes to the ACC. Maybe Stanford goes, you know, we just want to be an independent do you think Oregon State and Washington State could rebuild the Pac-12 themselves, or is it too big a lift if you don't have the brand of Stanford in your corner? Boy, I would love to see them try. I think it'd be fascinating, but I also don't think it's—I don't think it's feasible, right? I mean, you have to. How would you attract teams and attract a media partner if your two schools are in? Pullman and Corvallis, right? It's just, it's just too big a lift. Now those schools have overperformed their resources. Washington State does as much with what it has as any school in the country, uh, but I just don't see where they would have the foundation from which to, you know, generate the money that would then lead to being able to attract schools. To me, if if Stanford goes into the ACC or goes independent, and I think we're going to know in the next 48, 72 hours, I think that those schools really don't have a choice but go into the Mountain West. I know people are talking about the American, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Mountain West is in many ways a very good fit for those schools, and if they go into the Mountain West and they win the Mountain West, they're going to end up being in the playoffs. So there's something to be said for uh, for that path if, if 
Stanford is not going to be involved in a Pac-12 rebuild. If Cal is involved, does it get enough of the Bay Area market, or do you need the brand, in your mind, the brand of Stanford? Uh, I don't think Cal could do it. Uh, and I think Cal and Stanford are going to go together. together on this. They'll I move really together. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that would be my guess. I, I don't think Cal's got the, the brand to to kind of be the anchor that yeah. Stanford would be for a Pac-4 rebuild. I agree. John Wilner with us, Bay Area News Group. I'm just kind of wondering if you're Oregon State and Washington State, I guess you have to wait for Stanford. But I'm also thinking, even if Stanford says they're in, Wilner, what are they talking about? In for a year? In for six months? In for, you know, a year and a half? Two? Is that enough for you to build something on if you're Oregon State and Washington State? I guess you'd have to try if you knew you had them. But um, I'm still looking at it going, eh, are they better off just picking a path and trying to, uh, you know, focus on what they can control, which is trying to focus on their own brand and... Uh, getting to the playoff, if they can do that from wherever conference they're playing in. Well, I mean, I think, you know, they could force Stanford's hand for sure. You know, they say by the end of this week, for instance, you know, we need to know by, by 5 o'clock Friday, and if you aren't committed, uh, then we're, we're out. We're going to the Mountain West. And then Stanford's in trouble because what if they don't have an invitation from the ACC or the Big Ten, right? And Oregon, and Washington, Oregon State and Washington State leave uh, – Stanford's stuck. Cal stuck. So I, I, I think that they could do that, but I think they would prefer to give Stanford, you know, a few extra days here to figure out what it wants to do. Because ideally for those schools in a very suboptimal situation, ideally, you know, they're going to rebuild the Pac-4, I would think. But, but they could certainly give a deadline and, and, you know, they've got a place to go. They know they can go to the Mountain West. Stanford may not have a place to go. Same with Cal. Eh? We don't know for sure about the ACC. My guess is that those two schools are going to get invitations from the ACC, but I think it's like 55-45 or 60-40 at this point. So in some ways, they're better off than Stanford and Cal because they know they can go into the Mountain West. John Wilner with us. Finally, Wilner, Dan Landing, Oregon football coach, addressing media after the team's scrimmage over the weekend on Saturday. Um, he got testy. With reporters, I'm going to play this. You've been in a lot of these scrums. I want you to listen to it and tell me maybe uh, we can talk about what we're hearing here. Are there a few factors that you think kind of were really key for the defense being better early in the day than they were last Saturday? They played better. I mean, I think that's the main factor. In, in what ways? Like, can you get into specifics of? Well, when the offense doesn't get a first down, the defense stops them. You like you guys are really digging in on this. Like they played better at the beginning of the scrimmage. That's a challenge to see them start. I mean, I challenge every one of our players to play better. You noted four turnovers last week. You said there were a couple today. How many, yeah. how many were there today? I'm not telling you. Right. There were some turnovers. <laughs> Dan Lanning's been asked about the defense, asked about the defense, asked about the defense. He's tired of being asked about the defense. But what do you make of that? What I make of it is it's, what, the third week of camp, and uh, he's ready to play, and everybody's ready for the season to start. You know, I, I would think that every – Every coach, major college coach in the country gets testy at some point with questions during training camp because at a certain point there's really nothing new to say, and you got yet you're getting asked those questions. The reporters have to ask the questions, and the coaches sometimes get a little testy, and 
you just kind of that's just part of the game part of the deal and you you move on you don't take it personally you move on and uh everybody's just waiting for next week john wilner you're the best i appreciate you joining us giving us your time thank you my friend thanks for having me my friend there he is john wilner bay area news group i want to talk about dan lanning what did you hear there as a listener is there more pressure on Dan Lanning this season? Of course there is. There's more pressure on Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, too. Do coaches change? I believe they do as they get more experience. I think we've seen Jonathan Smith change. I thought I think we've seen Chip Kelly change. First-time head coaches evolve. I think we're watching Dan, a little evolution of Dan Lanning's game. I'll talk more about it coming up, and I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. you got to ask better questions, okay? Dan Lanning, he's in midseason form. Got a little testy with reporters. Ask better questions. Come on, guys. Listen to this. Are there a few factors that you think kind of were really key for the defense being better early in the day than they were last Saturday? They played better. I mean, I think that's the main factor. In, in what ways? Like, can you get into specifics? Of- well, when the offense doesn't get a first down, the defense stops them. There you go. Like, you guys are really digging in on this. Like, they played better at the beginning of this scrimmage. That's a challenge. To see them start I mean, better. I challenge every one of our players to play better. There, you noted four turnovers last week. You said there were a couple today. How many, yeah. how many were there today? I'm not telling you. There were some turnovers. I don't like the questions. I I also think Dan Lanning's ready to play some games. I agree with that. I want to know what you heard there. 503-417-7575. Carrie's in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Carrie, go ahead. Hey, yeah, I... So I listen most every day to the, the in the two o'clock, yeah, two o'clock hour. The oh, the local guy down here, he's a duck employee, does the uh, duck insider thing. Anyway, yeah. and so he'll play the Dan Lanning tapes coming out of yesterday's practice or whatever. And he's he's been getting gruffer with. It's not just those two Crepe and whoever else asked that other one, but there's he's been getting kind of what's the word I want to use? Testy, you know, testy, testy. Impetuous, I think. I mean, okay. kind of a little bit like I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say same, like Dame. I got paid. I mean, he's the highest now. Lanning's the highest paid state employee who's still working anyway. Yeah. But anyway, and I mean, he could be. Uh, Cristobal at least had a, a bear sense of humor. You know. I don't know. I, I, you don't think? Could, like, all right. I'm gonna leave you on here because I, I think it's good. Okay. But I think Lanning. I I've I don't know my interactions with him. Have been uh, largely positive and listen and and I liked when, you know, here this was just uh, what a couple weeks ago. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember when, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. Yeah, that I remember them fun. winning anything. I don't remember them winning anything. I think it was kind of trying to be funny there. <laughs> I don't know. I like that one. Yeah, that was, that was, but you know that know. wasn't that wasn't against friendly fire. I mean, he's taken he's taken. Uh, questions from the, you know, the Oregon press, basically. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I also think, Carrie, I, I, I'll tell you this: I don't think the contingent that's asking him the questions is at. I don't think they're asking him hard questions. I think they're just asking kind of the same mundane question that Dan Lanning told me on Media Day. I, I was the last interview he did. He had done thirty-five interviews, and he arrives at my radio setup and we're going to do a live interview and i said to him you know on air what are you getting asked and he said oh man they're asking about the defense they're asking about this i said okay 
My goal is we're going to play a game here, and I'm going to ask you questions, but you stop me if I ask you a question you've already been asked today. Let's see how deep into the interview I can get without repeating. And I asked him all these questions I was curious about, including his team, including his defense, and we had a great interview. I think coaches about this point of the year, here we are, week zero coming up here, we're going to have a college football game, and then in another week we're going to have week one college football games. I think these coaches are tired. I think they are ready for a game, and I think they are sick of being asked the same question over and over and over again that it's just a boring question. Uh, can you tell us how the defense was better? Can you tell me how many turnovers you had? He's like, By the end of that, he's like, I'm not telling you anything. I don't know. Ask a ask ask a better question. I don't know. Am I wrong? Are you hearing a more testy Dan Lanning that is feeling more pressure? I don't think so. I reached out to him after I heard that interview, and he said I didn't even realize that it was causing a stir. Mark's in Beaverton. Mark, what do you think? <laughs> so, John, first of all, you're intelligent. You ask thought-provoking questions. These idiots that just came like came out of journalism school they might as well ask you well how much did that twenty dollar watch cost well what time does the three o'clock bus come by and i think what what coach landy should do is before the next you know round of interviews and just say set the expectation if you guys ask me a stupid question i mean they're going to do one or two things i mean they're going to tell you that was a stupid question or just ignore you and go on to the next one so, <laughs> I don't know. I blame I, him for being tested. Yeah. I covered Bobby Knight, Mark, and I got to be honest with you. I asked a dumb question one time in a news conference, and the minute it came out of my mouth, I went, "Oh crap!" Like Harry, you know, like I'm gonna get like, and I don't, I don't think the coaches in this state, and I'll go further. I don't think the coaches in the conference are very. I don't think they're difficult. I don't think any of them are difficult. I don't think any of them are unfair. I don't think uh, I don't think any of them are tough, intimidating interviews. Um, if you ask a dumb question to Chip Kelly, he's going to slay you. If you ask a dumb question to Dan Lanning, he's going to get irritated with you. If you ask a dumb question to Jonathan Smith, he's probably going to accept the question, answer it, and then mutter off to the side to another reporter or his media relations guy, Sean Scheffler. That was a dumb question. Like, he'll, you know, I've had coaches in the conference pull me aside and go, hey, you know, these, the questions I'm getting are just terrible. Like, but I don't, I don't, like, we're getting a small sample size too. Cause I don't want to indict the reporters who are there at practice asking those questions. I don't know if five other questions came before it or after it, but the, what I heard there, was a coach who's just saying, hey, the defense was better today. We were better early than we were late. And reporters going, well, why? Tell us why they were better early than late. And he's like, well, because the offense didn't get a first down. Like, he's just basically saying the result was better early than it was late in the scrimmage. And yeah, I don't blame him for that. But I got to be honest with you. Bobby Knight one time went off in a post-game news conference about how his team seemed to be getting it taking what he had in practice and applying it in the games. And I raised my hand, I got the microphone, and I said, Coach, are you getting a better transfer from practice to games? He had just said it. Like, two questions earlier, he had said that very thing, and I went, oh, damn it. 
And he said, what the hell did I just say? And I just nodded because I deserved it. It was a dumb question. I had repeated myself and I wasn't listening and I deserved it. So I don't know. I'll give him a pass. I don't think he's feeling more pressure. I think all these guys are evolving as coaches. Jonathan Smith's a little different. Dan Lanning's a little different. I'm going to give them that berth. All right. Great show today. Grab the podcast. We'll see you tomorrow.